It's Off Exit 10, presented by Capital District Sport and Fitness. You're the first returning guest on this podcast. Oh, Lord. First? Well, we had Maddie. We had our friend, Matt. The first, like, real guest. Not, yeah, like, just, our, a, not just our homies. Not just our drinking buddies. Yeah. Okay. You can be, we'd be drinking <laughs> buddies I mean, we're tonight. drinking buddies but and homies, but, like, you know, not from the from the past, you know? Well, actually, from the past and the future. So I'm like a repeat offender. Yeah. Okay. We're re- yeah, we're, re- we're repeating tonight. Yep. No, Dr. G, I appreciate you coming on. You brought the goods. We're going to... Uh, well, get into some history, get into some medical history, but for yeah. uh, for the people that didn't tune in to the first one, so yeah, Dr. Gotcha. Gerald is a uh, retired cancer surgeon, served how many years? 15 years in the Navy Reserve? 16. 16, yeah. retired as a captain, and then went on and got your MFA Yeah. after all that. Yeah, and writing. And writing, and you've published one book, working on others right now. Mm-hmm. You do it all. You're a Renaissance man. Yeah. Play classical guitar. I paint. How, what watercolors? What are you doing? Oil paints. Oil paints. Yeah, I should have. I should. Ah, geez, I'll bring some stuff in. Land landscapes. What are you doing? Uh, everything. Everything. How'd, how'd you get into that? Well, it kind of runs in the family. My grandfather and my father both, on the side, sketched and painted as a hobby, and uh, I just picked it up as a kid and I was an art major in college no way I did not know you were an art major so you went into college as an art major yeah but I doubled in biology so I could get those credits out of the way so I could get in medical school right ah was that always the plan to go into medical medical school yeah after yeah because I couldn't make a living as an artist. It's awful tough. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. I mean nowadays with the internet I feel like it's easier to just put your name out there and put out your work like like my little sister does. She went to school for art, I'm pretty sure, Jay. Art management. Art management. Ah, okay. I mean, but yeah, you're right. It's a challenging field because what's the job market? I feel like you have to make it for yourself or be very self-directed. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Je- Jesse, past guest, uh, my brother-in-law, he went to school for art and it was it's a struggle. Um, luckily, he found some places to do some comic book art and uh, cool. became a tattoo artist. And that's now how he pretty much makes his living and does it does both of those things but there was a lot of different jobs that he was doing in between you know um sure jack of all trades that's that's kind of sure. similar to similar to you dr g yeah yeah you know? how often are you painting every day every day is it therapeutic for you yeah it is mm-hmm. yeah writing is not writing is horrible it's stre- is it stressful for you stressful i think i've heard that from every writer it takes so much focus and concentration Okay, so let's just say your your last book that you put out, The Surgeon's Mate, mm-hmm. how long from the conception of the idea to submitting the final the final pages did that take? That's interesting because not only did I have a whole background in the history of it beforehand, so I didn't have to really get into a whole lot of research, uh, but um, it's in my opinion, far easier to write fiction than it is nonfiction. Why do you feel that? Because with fiction, you can create or say, write anything you want to. You can use your imagination. 
But when you write nonfiction, you have to stick to facts. You have to reference where you got that from so people don't think you're just making it up or fact-checking, as they say these days. And uh, it's far more tedious. I love the research part. I hate sitting down and writing it because it's not really creative. It's called creative nonfiction, but it's really not creative. Well, because, okay, so... It's, it's repeating facts. The the battles that take place, the war, mm -hmm. right? That's all nonfiction. The characters, though, you're creating, right? Exactly. And placing them into these yeah. historical... Yeah, and that's a lot more fun. I'd be lying at night sometimes be trying to get to sleep thinking, well, how is Jacques going to uh, attack this guy uh, with a pistol and a sword? Which is he going to use first? And how many steps would he take to get to the guy? And, uh, you know, and that was fun. Uh, but... Uh, when I talk about, as I will be, Sam Whittemore in the American Revolution, I got to say he was stabbed so many times. He killed so many British soldiers. I got to stick to the facts. So somebody's going to look it up and say, this guy is, you know, BSing me. Well, now, now, I mean, with the Internet, right? It's like back pre-Internet. Exactly. I'll, bull I'll, bu I'll bullshit you right now. And you can be like, yeah. Mike, that was wild, man. What, mm -hmm. cra what crazy facts you just told me. That's mm -hmm. like That was like the when you used to use bigger words to make yourself sound smarter. You used to be able to do that. Now you can't do that because somebody's <laughs> got to fact check. You'd be like, that, that's not even a word. What are you doing? You know what else in, in, intrigued me with, because your book's it's Napoleonic Wars, right? Yeah. The, right. the Surgeon's Mate. But the way they spoke isn't the way they speak now. Words they used aren't the words we use now. But you write true to that in those I times do. in the books. I remember I started to read it, and I was like, oh, okay, I have to like put myself in. This is not written how we're going to sit down tonight and have a conversation. Right, right, exactly. How do you learn that and the terminology? And well, read a lot of books from that era where they use that language. Uh, and then I actually have uh, a copy of Samuel Johnson's First English Dictionary from 1758. Who's Samuel Johnson? Samuel Johnson was an intellectual philosopher, writer, and uh, highly regarded in his time as he is now. And one of his intellectual pursuits was to write one of the first true dictionaries of the English language. And so I have a copy of that, two big fat volumes, and he did a magnificent job, but there are words in there or the same words now didn't mean the same thing back then. Uh, right. And like what's an example of that? Okay. Well, one word I loved that I put in the book was vacuary. And vacuary, what the heck does that mean? Nobody uses it anymore. Vaca is the Latin word for cow. Vacuary is a cow pasture. Okay. And I love that, you know. Let's stroll through the vacuary, you know, step on cow pies. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, sounds, that sounds elegant. That sounds yes, right. nice. We're headed in the opposite day right now because we're with kids all day. Yep, no no yeah. kids saying vacuary. No. They say, I don't need, They're saying valid. <laughs> yeah. Hey, go do those squats. We're like, mm -hmm. bet. I'm like, we're betting on water. What on am I betting on? Right yeah. I'm like, I'm not on DraftKings. Like, what are you doing? And things like horrific or horrendous, now we think of it like, you know, really scary, like we see a slasher movie, that was horrific, or somebody had a bad accent, but back then it was like amazing. That was horrific. Like, wow. I can see that, though, because, I mean, it is something that's like a shock factor, but it, now yeah. it's just the opposite. Exactly. Yeah. 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 
So it's, it's strange how languages change Lang over time. Languages and even dialect intrigues me. Oh, yeah. Jordan, was this you last weekend we had this conversation? Or maybe it was somebody in here. I never can piece together who I've said things to during the week. I said, I think we were talking about Florida and Southern accents. And then I lived in Boston, so I was talking about Boston and New England accents. Oh, yeah. I feel like we were talking about that in here. You probably were having this conversation we were also with Jordan. Talking about it. And I said, yeah. was because, right, like <clears throat> our country was first founded in New England. I said, is the Boston accent what the first American dialect was? Came here from England and it mm -hmm. became that. And then everything branched off from this Boston accent. God, you, I hope not. You think so, Dr. G? <laughs> well, yeah, there are different migrations of English people from different areas. And uh, like the Australian accent is one type uh, from England that's carried on. But then I think the North is different from the South, and yet there are similar dialects, uh, but different enough. I think uh, New Englanders, and I don't mean any offense to my Southern brethren, but were more intellectual. Georgia was founded by convicts. It was a convict, a penal colony like Australia, and a different class a different dialect uh emerged down there and yet i think both are representative in appalachia in western or eastern kentucky uh and i lived in kentucky for a number of years uh they still speak kind of a uh a scottish derivative because, because the scots settled there interesting it's is is very interesting yeah is that why there's so many educational institu institutions in new england just because yeah yeah absolutely yeah. And uh, I was uh, and something several months ago on the radio. They're talking about how Shakespeare. Uh, it's uh, whenever you see it. Well, you never watch one, but if you'd see a Shakespeare play, Paul Paul would never, right? No, <laughs> listen. I've probably been to more theater and Broadway shows than any tell other Dr. person what, in this. Tell Doctor Hugh what Shakespeare are you into? Paul? I mean, I don't know if I'm into Shakespeare necessarily. <laughs> yeah, tell me your favorite play. Uh, my favorite play that I've seen Shakespeare. 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 Oh, that I can't. You that, know one. I mean, I would. I, I rest mean, my case. I know. I mean, there's obviously like the obvious ones like Hamlet, Jose, Romeo and Juliet, all yeah. those. But I that you know, I can't say I've seen one like perform, but I've seen a lot of theater before. Yes. Okay, well, good for you. Okay, yes. yeah, but well, what about more than the other, more than most of the other yeah, guys in here? Like hair or cats or something? <laughs> what? <laughs> Not cats. <laughs> what? What about Shakespeare? Well, so when you see it these days, yeah. they always got these elegant. English accents and it's yeah uh, and it's it's inspiring but they're saying that back in those days those Shakespeare was probably pronounced like a cockney accent really kind of you know crude almost mm -hmm. and and just jarring to the to our ears and yet that's probably the way it was spoken back then it, it's it's interesting but you know. I mean, well, it's also because like Shakespeare's viewed as I feel like as elegant. Yeah, that's pretty writing and yeah and whatnot. So you know, people change again. You know, the dialect. Dialect's interesting. The, dialect's interesting too because you've lived in what states have you lived in over the years, Doctor G? Oh Lord, oh let's see if I can put them in order: Iowa, New York, Illinois, Maine, Kentucky, Mississippi. You've been all over the place. But yeah. people, you spend enough time in a place, and you're mm -hmm. going to start speaking exactly. that way. Oh, yeah. When I was down south, I was down south for 25 years. 
did you have a southern because yeah. i don't i don't i don't hear you as having a southern draw no, right now because i'm not around southern people now right. but you get into that are we just mimickers yeah yeah I mean, yeah I mean, we really are we're think, like little monkeys think of when you're growing up you're mimicking your parents all the time sure you know right like, it's the same thing and i remember, oh there'd be all kinds of phrases like in kentucky uh example i had uh uh, a young girl that needed her appendix out, like super emergent. Mm -hmm. And I asked the parents, because she was underage, uh, for permission, consent. And the father said, I don't care to. And I said, excuse me, I don't care to. I said, do you understand the severity? She could die without the operation. Well, I said, I don't care to. Turns out it's okay with me is what it means. And you're like, dude, we got to take this out. <laughs> you're like, dude, yeah. we got to get this thing we get this <laughs> yeah, I out. I don't care like, to. <laughs> I hope you care. <laughs> but that's, you know, totally different yeah. meaning. Yeah. Well, and, and you just even living in New York City, like the dialect from, oh, gosh, yeah. from Brooklyn to the Bronx to Harlem, like it, it's so different. And it the is. slang they use is different. Well, that's just, that's different groups of people. People that well, it's different, different groups areas. of people, but it's like when you think about it, everybody's very close together. They're closer together than than me and you are where we live, mm -hmm. you know. But they're so the dialect and the slang they use is so different. Yeah. And again, it's the, still the Northeast, and obviously you have you know different races and ethnicities. But I'm just saying, like in general, you take like somebody from Brooklyn that's the same race as somebody from Queens. It's going to be two different dialects that they talk. Right. So it's interesting, like we, right. how dialect just is different even that close together i had a uh, when i was in mississippi i then moved up here but i had a dear friend of mine come up from mississippi uh, to visit me and i drove him around showed him and i took him to uh, battle road and uh, concord lexington and in boston he loved history and he wanted to see where the revolutionary war and the beginning of it started and uh we stop at a dunkin donuts and he goes in and he orders and the woman couldn't understand him and she says, would you repeat that order? I could understand him. Mm -hmm. And he's, you know, I can't remember what it was, but some coffee and a Danish or something. Mm -hmm. She's, I give up. And she got the supervisor to come. <laughs> she could not understand him. Jeez. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. When you're writing, are you outlining everything as you go? Or are you just writing and just kind of letting the characters develop as you're going? Oh, uh, either fiction or nonfiction. I have a very strict outline and uh i met john grisham and he is a lawyer and he would use a legal pad and outline everything in detail his plot his whole course of the book i outline on legal paper before he'd start actually writing i some people just do it you know off the cuff but i can't do it that way i gotta have everything organized yeah i feel like that's just depends on how your brain is wired yeah for yeah. that you know like sure. some people are going to be able to just you know, like some artists are going to be able to just look at it, go, all right, this is what I see, and then yep. done. Whereas other people are going to have to take time and, again, outline it and then go from there. Like even when you look at, you know, a tattoo artist, some people can freehand, some people can need a need the stencil. You know, when you're writing, like that's your stencil. Some writers are, can do it without it and some writers need it. And that's just how your right. brain is wired. And like Michelangelo, and he did not play for the Cubs, okay? This is the artist. <laughs> uh, I was thinking more of Ninja Turtles, but you know, <laughs> that's, that's just me. <laughs> what are we going to do, Dr. G? Why am I here? <laughs> um, you knew what you were getting into with on. Paul. You've been here before. This isn't your first rodeo. 
You asked for this. I was just hoping. <laughs> anyway, so Michelangelo was this, you know, famous sculptor and painter from the Renaissance. I do know. I do know who that is. Yeah, and okay, he sculpted, cool. you know, David. Didn't he? Didn't he do the David? The oh, the Sistine, Sistine Chapel. Chapel. Yeah, yeah. See, exactly. Dr. See, I know a you few know, things. The... I was just thinking of what it was called. I knew it was on the ceiling. I didn't like history in school. If you were my history teacher, it definitely would have been different. It's all it about. Been it's all about the teacher. Though. I had, it I had is. like. I had a shout out, Mr. Pearson. He's, he was great. He was great. He, he was great. doctor. He was passionate about what he still he teaches. Taught. Still yeah. teaches. Is that's it in so a, cool. I love that. Yeah, that's what that's the make or break. And mm -hmm. I don't know. I've never been to private school, but in public schools, is like if a teacher is passionate, it's going to show, and the kids are going to pay attention and learn. Right. But I feel like I don't know. A lot of the times they're not, and then you, the kids disengage and have no interest in something exactly. maybe they would be interested in. Especially exactly. now. Yeah. So anyway, Michelangelo yes. Sorry. Uh, would do these terrific sculptures out of these blocks of marble, big lump of marble that they brought in. And he, his uh, famously quoted phrase was that, I already see the image in the marble. I just free the person from that marble. You know what I'm talking, you know that yeah. quote. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. And, and that amazes me, like, because creativity-wise is like, it's yeah. It's not not it's a whole uh, different. Doesn't thing. come strong to me. Yeah, you know, like, I could tell. I'm very yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. I'm a numbers person. Analytical. <laughs> what? When? When? Shots fired. <laughs> Shots fired. Part two. The first time you said Paul was your pet or your therapy comfort, pet. Comfort animal. Comfort animal. In fact, I'm glad you brought that up. Wow, uh, you you brought goodies. Jake, you'll bring the camera close. Show so I think we should with. lay off Paul. <laughs> oh, you like these. So we'll, when you see the clips, you'll see well, it. You know what? We'll, Dr. G, can you read what flavor that is, please? <laughs> yeah, it's a pepperoni. <laughs> Original up, beef flavor. Hold it, up. <laughs> Hold it up. Thank you. Uh, this, is, this is exactly what I needed. I, you know, I thought so. That steak looks kind of, that steak looks pretty good, though. No, really. It's, it's, yes. <laughs> That's so kind. So in case Paul gets... Can we get a little hungry? Yeah. yeah. Or yeah, I gotta or soak up some Dr. more booze. G, yeah. If he does something, if he's a good boy, and you want to give I'll him some po give it. Yeah. positive reinforcement, like yeah. Just don't eat the wrapper, okay? I'll try not to. <laughs> I'll. Try. <laughs> Paul, uh, did you think you'd I, be need, getting, I, I need to go? I need to walk around. <laughs> did you Did you think you'd be getting treats tonight, Paul? No, I didn't think you'd be getting treats tonight. <laughs> I guess I can't go pee on the weights later, you know? <laughs> no, if you need to go, just bark. Okay. <laughs> How many times? Once or twice? <laughs> Once for number one, two for number okay, two. Okay, just got to okay. make sure we got okay. that clear. And I did bring doggy bags. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, in case, you know, turf gets turf monster gets me, you know? <laughs> I was like, what is he pulling out of this bag? I, of, this bag I did not know. That was good. That was great. Oh, I love it. And so, Dr. G, you're... <laughs> Your podcast, you want to start. What's your concept? What's your, you know, plan in terms of what you're, uh, you want to talk about and present and educate people on? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> you just got to roll with it. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, I, I write a lot and I've written articles and I presented at the uh, McMullen Symposium in the Naval Academy on military medicine. And so uh, history of medicine and history of the military are, are dear to me. And like you said, I was in the 
Navy Reserves as a flight surgeon. And uh, so I, I love both military and medical histories. And uh, we talked about this before, about how you asked me, what, what do we get wrong or what don't we learn in school? Well, mm-hmm. a lot, <laughs> unfortunately. And uh, one of the myths that's perpetuated that really angers me is, uh, and you see in bloggers and podcasters and all these little uh, books uh, that purport to give you uh, medical history, and so often it's sensationalism. It, it just brings out the gory details. It brings out uh, some of the worst parts of what happened in the past. Uh, but it leads you astray. It doesn't give you a whole picture. It just gives you something that uh, you know titillates you, uh, but doesn't give you any factual uh, evidence or, or, or a feel or an understanding of that era. And, and we just discussed this uh, earlier this morning when you were hurting me. Is that uh, <laughs> we're gonna say hurting you <laughs> for everybody listening? We were working out. <laughs> I've, like never, I've never hurt Dr. Jude. <laughs> put that on record. I have never done it. <laughs> and, and we're saying, you know, how 200, even 100 years hey, from now, what did you want me to do with that, with that ball again in there? <laughs> it is bigger now, isn't it? It's a little bit. I gave you, <laughs> it's not finished yet. <laughs> A little Keep blowing on listeners. it, okay? <laughs> okay, we'll do. Okay, my go wife ahead. said my balls weren't big enough, so I asked. Politely my, asked. Politely. In front, in of, front a, of other people. In front of a man named Travis. Uh, well, Travis, you know. <laughs> uh, so uh, <laughs> I'm not going home without a big ball, okay? <laughs> I'm just telling you no. Here, Paul, you want a treat? <laughs> And they're really good. I mean, listen, you eat one, I'll eat one, you know? <laughs> Where were we? I don't even know. Medical uh, myths, sensationalism yes. in yeah. medicine. And- yeah. So I wanted to give you a little taste of uh, you know, what you don't learn or what you learn wrong. And so much of it now is after school when you look up things on online and it's you know the gruesome details of barber surgeons in the 14th century or so uh, using leeches and and uh, I've seen these portrayals even on Science uh, Channel History, Smithsonian Channel, uh, where they portray like Civil War uh, surgeons with big beards chewing on a cigar while they're cutting through somebody's leg and the guy's screaming. It's so untrue. It really offends me. It really offends me because people have always been smart. In fact, I think sometimes they're smarter in the past than the average person is nowadays, frankly. And uh, they had to be more intuitive. They had to have a better understanding. What the hell are you smoking, by the way? Can I have some? Yeah, would you like some? Yeah, I mean, is it, you know, the real stuff or is it just fake? I've got the real stuff. You want to step outside? (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) What? (laughs) And uh, (laughs) so... uh, 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 you know, like uh, these Civil War surgeons were extremely educated. They probably knew anatomy better than the average medical student coming out these days. And uh, uh, they were trained in physiology and chemistry and all this stuff. And they weren't just butchers, as, as they're so oftentimes depicted. And that really, again, uh, ethically and professionally offends me to have uh, physicians and surgeons who are brilliant people uh, doing their best under the conditions, under the science or knowledge of that time, 
doing their best to save lives. So I'm just going to go through a couple of, uh, actually three examples of uh, people, uh, f relatively famous people, that uh, uh, either aided, uh, uh, contributed uh, to medicine, to the knowledge of medicine, or survived because of medicine. And I'm just going to give a, just several examples just to kind of give you a, and then we can discuss it and go from there. Yeah, I think that okay. would be great. So, so this is like what you're thinking of how, like kind of how what you want to talk about on your podcast too. That's right? what it's I'm like, thinking. You know, yeah. Because and I'm assuming you know they sensationalize it because they want to get you know Absolutely. more viewers. And, Absolutely. You know all that. So Absolutely. You know sometimes you just got to keep it what it is. Yeah. And, and yeah. Go from there. You know, facts are a troublesome thing. They just uh, they don't go away, but uh, they'll. People don't want to hear a fact sometimes. That's very true. Yeah, yeah, they want to hear what they think is right. But what's the all right? So what's we got? What's the first story that that we want okay. to talk about? Well, now, can you see the first slide I have up? Paul, can you Let pull it up see. and then? Uh, How do I get? I would to... love to take a look as well. Um, Slideshow. Yeah. So, Paul, why don't you click on that? From beginning. And can you just angle it toward me a little yes, bit here, sir, Paul, can, so we both I can, can do look? That. Um, yeah, Paul, can you see okay? I can see perfectly fine. Can you see okay? Yeah, I'm good right here. So. And I got the arrows right here. Okay, cool. Look at that. Awesome. It's like I know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> good boy, Paul. Good. Thanks. Here's a pepperoni. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... I love this so much. Dr. Kate, before we get this, going... This, I, this is dangerous because, like, if a kid really got this, they, they, they'd they, like it. They would Dr. definitely G, eat this. You know who would eat that? <laughs> Dan Jones would think it's a slim chip. That's exactly what I was thinking in my head. <laughs> he would eat it. Like a kid, a kid, a kid. I looked at this and I'm like, this. A kid would definitely think this is a slim Jim. It's probably better meat than a slim chip. It's got to be close. <laughs> it's got to be close. <laughs> oh, this is my favorite part of every week, man. This is this, these are so fucking good. This episode of Off Exit 10 is brought to you by Anchor and the all-new Anchor Pro. Crafted to endure the most high-performance workouts without the high cost and space requirements of a standard cable machine. Named the best portable cable machine by Men's Health Home Gym Awards, Anchor provides the full functionality of a cable machine in one small space-saving unit. Designed with user-friendliness in mind, Anchor can simply be attached to any squat rack or placed on any wall in your home gym using its intuitive sliding track mount. With up to 65 pounds of resistance, Anchor is built for high-speed and controlled exercises alike, from cable presses and rows to chops and lifts. The Anchor has been a game-changer for us here at CDSF, and now you can enjoy the same professional-quality cable machine in your own home gym by heading over to anchortraining.com and using code CDSF10 for 10% off your order today. Get all the benefits of a cable machine without the high-cost installation fees. Enjoy the portable luxury and space-saving performance of Anchor today by going to anchortraining.com and using code code CDSF10 at checkout. That's anchortraining.com, promo code CDSF10 for 10% off your order today. Right, let's uh, <laughs> let's learn, man. I got this PowerPoint okay. up and you do. And Yeah, so this is just a, a typical amputation, but it's a little exaggerated sensationalism even for that time. Uh, guy screaming as he's having his uh, leg about to be amputated. Uh, but uh, And this is, again, exaggeration because there are uh, records of people just calmly going through an amputation, as I'm going to show you a little bit later, uh, hardly wincing at all, just taking it in. And what I wanted to show in this case is I, if you can see the tourniquets applied to his leg, his left leg, mm -hmm. and uh, this was a called a petted screw uh, by Batit, who was a uh, uh, French surgeon around the uh, 1730s, who devised this tourniquet 
to stop the blood flow to the limb that you're about to amputate so they're not bleeding to death during amputation. But by uh, this is a screw, this bolt on top was a screw that they uh, screwed down to occlude uh, and tighten up the bandage to occlude the artery and, and the veins below that. Well, by doing that, uh, inadvertently not knowing it, they also occluded the blood supply to the nerve. It's just like when you're uh, sitting for a long time with your leg crossed or something, and you try and get up and your leg is absolutely numb and you can't mm -hmm. feel it. That's because you've occluded the artery supply to those nerves. And you get up and, and you can't feel it and you're stumbling along like you were drunk. And that's what happens with the tourniquet, is that they probably didn't have anywhere near as much pain. The other thing is that back in those days, people accepted pain. It was just part of life. And so much of pain is between the ears. Yeah, it's, it's very true. And it's so much as we've talked about this with physical, physical therapists we've had, and it's so yep. contextual yep. and your previous thoughts and your history. Can I yeah. have more bourbon? Yeah, pour, pour it up, Paul. Which one did you have in I'm here, just getting started. Buff Buff Trace? Buffalo Trace, yeah. Right, Buffalo Trace, Dr. G? What we Could have before? Sure. Yeah. Buffalo chips, whatever. <laughs> Buffalo chicken wings? Oh, I'd go for some oh, wings. Oh, man. Yeah. Would yeah. that be great? You, tell, you yeah. tell me when. Yeah. Well, you haven't even started yet. When? Perfect. <laughs> Thank you. You're Thank welcome, you. sir. Another treat? I mean, uh, <laughs> listen. <laughs> I mean, I'm up to two. I'm up to two, everybody. That's two treats. Yeah, you're doing great, yeah. Paul. Two treats. Do I'm going to keep track. People were better able to tolerate pain. I mean, I They just I, I expected it. True. They took it. They just took it. When I was uh, doing surgery sometimes on little kids, little gash on the head, on the arm, uh, I was trained in hypnosis, and I told them they wouldn't feel anything. I wouldn't use Novocaine on them. And I could sew up their skin without any anesthesia. So you would go through, you would put them into a hypnotic state. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How, how so? Just uh, suggesting, telling them, you know, that they're going to relax and they're not going to feel a thing and this is going to be over very fast and you'll feel me touching you, but it's not going to hurt at all. And they'd just be dozing off and I'd be just putting, you know, I have to have the mother outside because she'd go nuts if she saw me doing this without anesthetic. But it worked. I have to be careful who I select if kids were screaming or. Right. You know, right. Are some people more prone to yes. being able to go under hypnosis versus yes. not? Yes. What makes somebody more prone to be able to versus not? Is it them in general or the current state that they're in? Uh, several factors, but the more intelligent you are, the more skeptical you tend to be. So you kind of resist it like this is nonsense. Because I always thought. You know, Paul would be. Oh, like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I was saying the same thing. I always thought it was like for show. But Jay, remember Stern back in the day? Howard yeah. Stern, Jordan, I would listen to, you ever listen to Stern? Yeah, sure. Yeah. The, one of his workers, Sal, like they didn't portray him as the brightest guy. I don't know him, but. Uh, he's a moron. Yeah, he's a moron. <laughs> they actually, shout out Sal, Jordan reached out to him and Richard when I was yeah. getting married to film a like, good luck getting married, bud video. And they fucking did. And yeah. they sent it back to Jay. Yeah, enthusiastically. So shout out to them. Very like kind to even talk to us. Yeah, still a moron. Sorry. Still a moron. So he went under hypnosis on the show. <laughs> uh -huh. And the guy goes through his whole sequence and ends up having him come out of it and works through a series where he tells him to pull down his pants and that his dick's gone. 
and he loses his shit. That's what I think of when I think of hypnosis now. You ever I can't that, blame like, him. Jake? You ever try, yeah. Jay, can, can you find online the clip where he Actually, yells that his I dick can. is gone? Yeah. We'll keep going, Jay. If you end up finding it, can you tell us and we'll, we'll pull it up? Sure. Um, but okay, yeah, go. go yeah, I was just saying when I was in and, uh, undergoing uh, the education in medical school on hypnosis, um, I was the subject, and uh, my partner was going to put me under hypnosis and put a little alcohol swab right on the interthener web here between the thumb and, and index finger, and then they're going to put a spinal tap needle, a really thin, fine needle, right through there, come out the other side. And so I close my eyes, and I go through, yeah, yeah, I'm getting, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, as soon as I feel that sucker, I'm going to scream bloody hell. And I'm sitting there. And he says, okay, open your eyes. I'm saying, okay, yeah, see, it didn't work. I looked down, nah, and the needle is straight through me. Didn't feel a thing. Wow. Yeah. And I said, So okay. me and Dr. G on the same brain wavelength. What's, yeah, very low. What's, what's the what's, what's the? I barely made it through medical school. Did you find it, Jack? You want it? Yeah, I, this is, have you done this to anybody before? Yeah, just, you just hear him laughing. What's going on, Sal? Wait. My cock is gone. <laughs> my cock is gone. What do you mean? Hold Dude, it, stop. My cock no, is gone. Calm down. Calm my down. Calm down. Oh, my cock is gone. I think it's Robert. Take it easy. 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 Take it that's fantastic. <laughs> Sorry we're queuing up all this medical history oh. with that clip. Well, getting back to, you know, this is This is really how you get people interested is you throw clips like that, but keep the facts the facts. Okay. Let's keep the facts the facts here. <laughs> right. So, yes, I, I believe that pain is, is 90% uh, emotional, uh, cultural. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. You know, like Hispanics, no offense, but they tend to be more emotional will feel pain more, uh, dis display their their feelings of pain more. Uh, and and British tend to be just stoic. I sent this thing to Dan, who you probably never read, about Napoleonic War, where a guy has his uh, knee shattered by a shell, and uh, they take him to a place to have it amputated. And uh, the guy just sits, lies back with his arms across his chest. He was actually a lord, Lord Uxby, and they're having to amputate his leg. And the uh, saw, bone saw, gets stuck halfway through the bone. Like if you ever saw wood, sometimes it gets wedged if you don't have it even. And uh, he looks up and he says, what's the matter? Is oh, nothing, just the, you know, saw's a little stuck. Well, okay, you know. And they, and that's it. That's it. He never moaned, groaned, cried out, tried to get away had his leg amputated without anesthesia and and it was just no big deal so anyway uh so this is a little bit of an exaggeration so i'm going to talk to you can i go ahead absolutely go with ahead. samuel yes. whitmore not samuel morse okay this is, i know i know okay okay i know so samuel whitmore this guy seems a little more interesting yeah he is uh I don't know if you can see this, but that's a I, picture of yep. mm -hmm. uh, what he probably looked like when he was a young man in the French-Indian Wars. You're on the second slide, right, after the, the title slide? Yeah. Yeah, just want to make sure. Okay, good. Want another pepperoni? <laughs> <laughs> that's three. That's okay. three. 
And <laughs> Samuel was a farmer, but he was also a warrior. And uh, he fought for the British in the French-Indian War, which is part of the Seven Years' War, which is all around the world. But the French were fighting the English for control of North America, and the French sided had allies with the Indians, so it's called the French-Indian War. And the French and Indians fought against the British. And so he fought with the British as a young man, uh, took a fort uh, uh in consolation, he got a saber and a pair of flintlock pistols from the French commander. And then he went back to farming. Okay, now we get to the American Revolution uh, 25 years later. And he's in this farm in Monotony, which is now called Arlington, Massachusetts. And uh, he's farming his land. And in the middle of the night, he wakes up and hears all these British soldiers marching past his farm doesn't know what's going on. Well, they're marching towards Lexington, which is, oh, about three miles down the road from his farm. Okay, he goes back to sleep. <clears throat> Wakes up that morning, about 6 a.m. like farmers do, and uh, these guys come running up to him saying, did you hear, did you hear, there's a huge battle this morning in Lexington where the British fired on a bunch of English colonists who were, defending their independence. And he says, well, you know, and he said a few choice words. And uh, he said, where are they now? Well, they're marching back to Boston. So he goes back uh, to his uh, house. He grabs his two flintlock pistols that he w were surrendered to him during the French-Indian War, his cutlass, his rifle, and his sword, and he goes out and he hides behind a stone wall. Here come the grenadiers, some of the fiercest men of the British Army marching right past him. He pops up as they start marching past him, blows two of them away with his musket and then his flintlock pistol, shoots another guy, so that's three down. Well, by this time, he's out of ammo and out of gunpowder. They come charging over the stone wall, as in this picture, and here he's 80 years old, 80 years old at this time. And they charge him with bayonets. They kick him to the ground. They shoot him through the face, comes out in the cheek and goes out the back of his head. And then they kick him, beat him up, hit him with their butts, and then they bayonet him 13 times and leave him for dead. Well, half hour passes by, and his family comes running out, and there he is lying next to the stone wall in a pool of his own blood. And he sits up, and he's trying to reload his musket for another go. <laughs> <laughs> and they're saying, wait a minute, we got to get you somewhere where you can see medical attention. Well, there is a uh, place down the road uh, called, and this is the Battles of Lexington and Concord. And they, uh, and that's Samuel Whitmore firing at these guys. And there's actually a monument now downtown uh, Arlington, which was fields back in that uh, time. And this is the spot where he took down these people. And there it says he killed three British soldiers, April 1976. He was shot, bayoneted, beaten, and left for dead. But he recovered. So they take him to Cooper Tavern, which was a makeshift hospital. Well, the place, this is an old picture from the turn of the century, but it's been torn down. Subsequently, it's right downtown Arlington, Massachusetts. And there's the little memorial there uh, right in front of... Uh, the downtown section, it's right downtown along the main street of Arlington, saying 
This is the site of Cooper's Tavern, where he was taken to. And a uh, famous physician named Dr. Cotton Tufts, uh, whose uh, descendant established, founded Tufts University. Was, literally, that's the first thing that popped in my head. <clears throat> yeah. When, yeah. You said, when you said that, I was like, that's got to exactly. be Tufts University. Exactly. And that's Tufts University up on a hillside long after Cotton Tufts. Cotton looks at this guy, and he's volunteering now as a, as a medical military doctor, helping all these guys that are being brought in from the Battle of Lexington and Concord. And here they bring this 80-year-old guy that's been bayoneted 13 times, shot through the face, kicked and beaten with rifle butts. And he says, yeah, there's nothing I can do for him. Take him home. And they said, you got to do something for him. Okay, so he patched up, put bandages. That's all he could do, really, at that point. And, and he says, you know, just take him home. They take him home on a door. They unhinge the door and carry him back to his house on this door. The son of a gun lives for another 13 years. Goes back to farming. Hard to kill. He was the John Wick of his time. He was the OG yeah. John Wick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember you saying like you were going to talk about that today when you were uh, when Mike was beating you, um, uh, and I was like, okay, I'm interested to hear about this. And that lived when up we to, were doing uh, thoracic extensions on the foam roller, Paul. Yeah, I, I saw him. Them. I looked over and I saw him doing that. That's what he called them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're extensions, otherwise. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Doctor G. Do you want a pepperoni? <laughs> no, save them for Paul, please. Okay. I'll be okay over okay. here. So, I mean, this guy was incredibly, he was hard to kill. He was like John Wick. He kept taking bullets, and he'd come up, and he was still fighting. I mean, imagine being bayoneted 13 times and reloading your musket to mm-hmm. have another go at these you know, oh, damn man. kids. It, it was amazing to me. Uh, barber surgeons is, is another uh, sore point with me. Barber surgeons began in the Middle Ages, and uh, at that time, medical schools, started in monasteries in Italy around the ninth century. Ninth century, like over a thousand years ago. Ninth, not nineteenth, ninth. Ninth century, yes. And these are the original medical schools. Yeah. Because in the convent, when a person went there to become a, a nun or a uh, monk, they had to learn besides spiritual healing, they also had to learn physical hearing healing. So they had little pharmacies set up that people could come to, you get medicines, and these monks and nuns would be taught in healing arts. And that's where the medical schools really started, in Salerno, Italy, to be specific. That's so interesting to hear, because right in our heads now and in today's society, it's like you're, really, you're separating religion and science yeah, and yeah. medical, but yet they well, start in the same place. Mm-hmm. Not then, because they considered that you know healing the soul is just part of your ministry or your mission Mm -hmm. Uh, but healing the body also was important and uh, subsequently then uh, non-religious people secular people started to attend these academies and they formed formal medical schools well the pope said that the monks and the nuns were doing too much physical medical work they ought to more focus on religious spiritual salvation and so he forbid them uh, to treat people uh, by the monks and nuns. And that's gotten down into mythology that the Catholic Church forbid monks to shed blood uh, and that they were against science and against medicine and against uh, any kind of, of knowledge. And that's BS. 
Now, I'm a Protestant, so I have no dog in this fight. I could care less. But I just want the truth. The truth is that the Catholic Church never outlawed dissection, anatomy, science, uh, and uh, certainly not uh, uh, the education and, uh, and use of medicine for the common good. <clears throat> they just didn't want monks to be sidetracked into something that led them away from their spiritual duties, which was happening. In fact, the monks would start charging. They'd make money off this, you know, and that's not the whole purpose of being, you know, a monk. So uh, the barber surgeons then uh, had to take over the duties of the monks, which included barbering. And, uh, of course, the monks had to have shaved heads and these little rims of hair like, you know, you see in the movies and all that. And uh, they took that over. So they're barbers and surgeons. But their primary duty was as surgeons. And it runs the gamut. There are some really shoddy people out there who shouldn't have been in the ranks. And then there are brilliant people. And I'm going to talk about one of the brilliant ones. In fact, this is a, a painting uh, of barber surgeons of Sir John Bannister in London uh, conducting an anatomy lesson in 1578. And there's a skeleton there. He's pointing to the different parts. And then he's got a dead body, usually a executed criminal that he's dissecting and all the students there. And, and these are intelligent people. They're not crude uh, peasants that are just, you know, leering at a, at a dead body or something. These are educated people that are learning the arts and skills. So anyway, one of these was Ambroise Paré. He couldn't afford to go to medical school because it cost too much. Plus, he needed to know Latin to go because everything was in Latin. I know that wouldn't be a handicap for you, Paul. No, no. But, but you know, for I some people. I would have excelled. This yeah, guy's, <laughs> you're yeah. a Latin machine, Yeah, Paul. Paul Vargas, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> what's that mean? I Paul, can't what's, tell you. Paul, what's that mean? <laughs> ah, can't tell you. Can't it means you. where are you going? <laughs> so Ambroise Paré, who was French from Paris, went uh, to a barber a surgeon college, and then he entered the military. Well, at that time, France was fighting to gain northern Italy, and there's a Battle of Turin in 1536, which is in northern Italy. And so this uh, uh, duke wanted to conquer this town of Turin, but it's a huge castle and fortress. Well, by now they had gunpowder cannons and everything. And uh, at that time, a guy named Vigo, V-I-G-O, uh, who was Italian, had this theory that if you were shot with a bullet, the bullet, like arrows, was probably poisoned. Before they'd shoot the bullet, the musket ball, they'd dip it in poison. It could be anything, manure or, or some kind of chemical that would not only hit you but also kill you from the poison when it hit you. Well, the fact of the matter is that the bullet uh, achieves these high temperatures as it exits the barrel from the ignition of the gunpowder. So anything on the outside of the bowl would be burned away before it ever reached the end of the barrel. So these things were sterile, in other words. But they didn't know that. So the premise was, and Ambrose Paré read Vigo's book, and he asked his fellow surgeons who were older than him, do I really need to do this uh, to treat uh, bullet wounds? And they said, yes, Vigo says you must pour boiling oil into the gunshot wounds uh, to counteract the poison, to kill the poison. 
He says, that sounds awful. No, you must do it or your patients will die. Well, that night, dozens, probably hundreds of people are coming back from the Battle of Turin, shot up right and left. Every imaginable part of the human body is hit by a musket ball or cannon. And uh, the ones that survive, of course, are brought in, and that's the picture there. And around midnight, as he's pouring boiling oil, and of course these people are screaming because, you know, it hurts. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that one definitely hurts. <laughs> that would definitely hurt, yeah. And he had no pepperoni. And <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. No pepperoni? Yeah. I don't know what a life without that is. Inconceivable. How would you know you've done something correct if you're not rewarded with pepperoni? <laughs> I know. Well, he runs a... No, he runs out of boiling oil, not pepperoni. He runs out of <laughs> boiling oil around midnight, and yet more people are streaming in with gunshot wounds. And he says, Mon Dieu, uh, which I can't translate, it's implied, but he says, what am I going to do now? Uh, and there's the, the picture where the guy handing him the ladle of boiling oil says, we're out, man. <laughs> I got no more. So <clears throat> he says, what am I going to do now? He comes up with a concoction of rose oil and turpentine and egg yolk and some other really kind of soothing stuff. And he pours it into the wounds and he bandages them up. And, you know, the guys are doing all right. He's trying to pull out the bullets, by the way. And because he doesn't want to demoralize the people that have been treated with boiling oil, the proper treatment, you know, uh, by the book, uh, as compared to all these guys that have been treated with this egg yolk and this mild kind of rose oil and all this kind of stuff, he puts them in separate tents, puts all the guys with boiling oil into one tent and all the guys that he's sure are going to be dead by morning in the other tent because they didn't get the boiling oil. And he can't sleep that night. I've, I've got his biography, and he says in there that I tossed and turned all night long worrying that these poor people I had condemned to death because I didn't treat them with the boiling oil. So he can't wait at dawn. He throws open the tent flaps, goes out, and heads for the first tent where all the guys have had boiling oil. And he goes in there, and these guys are moaning and groaning, and their wounds are inflamed and red, and, oh, God, they're in all kinds of agony, and some are dead. And he says, okay, that's good, you know. <laughs> it works, yeah. And he dreads, <laughs> dreads going to the second tent because he thinks all these guys in that tent are dead because they didn't get boiling oil and they've been poisoned. And as he approaches the tent, he hears hanging, singing and laughter. And he goes in there and they're playing cards and they're drinking beer and they're carrying on. And he says, what the? And these guys are doing great. And he says at that point, this is in this book too, he says, uh, I told, I promised to God from now on I would never use the boiling oil. And he became like the father of modern military medicine, because he used his head, and he said, this is BS. What I've been taught, what I've read is BS. It's wrong. Guys reviled him. They said, you know, you bastard. You're going to kill people. No, he stuck to his guns, thank God, and he became a very famous. So every, every surgeon, and certainly most medical uh, people, know about Ambroise Paré. And uh, here... Another thing that he reintroduced from Roman times was that uh, uh, when you do an amputation or you have an open wound and you have uh, an artery pumping blood at you, uh, what we do now is put a little uh, clamp on it called a hemostat, and then we put a tie, a uh, silk or, 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 or uh, uh, 
synthetic material, uh, a string, in other words, and put it around and tie a knot around it, tie off the pumping artery, okay? Just makes sense. But no, uh, it came into vogue that you had to cauterize them. You take a red-hot iron out of the fire and put it in there and roast the artery shut, burn it shut. Uh, again, kind of a dreadful way of going stuff. Yeah, and that he, sounds not, pain, not, 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 not nice. Not nice. Not nice. And uh, he reintroduced just tying off the vessels, another big deal. He also devised prosthetic hands wow. and limbs. The first person to do that? Pretty much so, yeah. Uh, these are all mechanical okay. things. This is a mechanical hand. You amputate the hand, but here's a, a fake ampu uh, prosthetic hand. Yeah, we'll, with all we'll these put, little we'll put gears. this on our pages. This is the 16th century. This the, is 16th it's, century. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. And, and all the little gears in there and stuff like that. And this is a way, this is the first stereo strips. Instead of just, you know, making somebody hurt with putting needles through their flesh to bring the skin together, you just put a little piece of cloth, glue it on either side, and then you'd stitch the cloth pieces together to draw the skin together again, like in this diagram. So you didn't need to put the needle through the skin. Uh, the, the beginning of strips. okay? On the right-hand side is another fellow, Talia Cossi, who is Italian, who does skin grafting, reconstructs noses and ears, lost in duels and in battles, and uh, you use the patient's own flesh. And here you take a little strip of flesh, and you put it on where the nose used to be, and then it had to be held in place so it could heal, take about two weeks for it to attach, and then you just cut off, you know, where it's attached to the arm, and there'd be a new nose. You put two little quill pipes, one in each nostril, to keep the nose open so that wouldn't close. So you'd, and you have a new nose. Who would know? That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, look, this was five, six hundred years ago. People were not stupid. When did... Yeah, when did the, like, detailed study of anatomy really start? Is this, About the same time. This time. The same time, yeah. It wasn't a coincidence. It's called the Scientific Revolution. Uh, it was the same time as the Renaissance. People started to think differently, think out of the box. So, yeah, pretty neat. Yeah, man. Well, and you brought up the amputation. I just saw a thing, speaking of how like far, obviously, we've come with the amputation, even though clearly it started long, long, long ago, is that they've developed like prosthetics that now allow amputees to feel the sensation of temperature. Mm -hmm. So like heat Absolutely. and cold and all that. And I was like, that's pretty cool. Like minus the fact that like, you put your hand, you know, amputated hand on a hot stove. It's really pretty good. Is yeah. it decent? Paul, there it is. Uh, listen, I'm not, I'm not going for it. <laughs> I'm not doing it. <laughs> Did you just let him eat your treats? Yeah. I brought it for you. <laughs> oh, Dr. It G. really is pretty good. Is it better than a Slim Jim? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Listen. Yeah, it's full of. What do you think? It's definitely it... like a Slim Jim. So <laughs> what it tastes like. Yeah. It's yeah. probably <laughs> yeah. a Slim Jim. Yeah. <laughs> Repackaged. Like legit. Like it... I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> not bad. You want to try it, Mike? It's not bad. Everybody is? Yeah, here, slide it over here. <laughs> here you go, Jay. You saw it here first, folks. <laughs> I got Jay. Okay, you give me that, Paul. That's a good toss. Very good. 
It's, it's it, it legit isn't what I. You, you can't smoke it. You gotta eat it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not bad. I'm gonna take this shit. I mean, I'm not. I'm not gonna go eat I'll it. Wash this down. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> Jordan's like, I hate, I hate you all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can. You, you oversold it. I mean, it's yeah, gross. I could never go in like Fear Factor. I can't do a pepperoni, bro. Fucking <laughs> you and I are like, eh, you know, it we'll is the right. flavor of a Slim Jim. It is flavor. Like it's literally the same flavor. Oh, it's it's more disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> At least Jordan was honest, you know. Yeah, what a prude. This episode of Off Exit Ten is brought to you by Drink Alchemy. Fatigue and brain fog affect us all, destroying everything we pursue. Whether as an athlete, artist, creator, or entrepreneur, our mind holds the key to performing optimally. By combining the most potent organic nootropics found in nature, Drink Alchemy delivers sustainable boost to creativity, memory, energy, and focus in one epic beverage. Stop pumping your body full of excessive amounts of caffeine and unknown proprietary blends from other energy drinks and get clean energy from Drink Alchemy's natural nootropics like lion's mane, L-theanine, and caffeine from green tea. Used by Olympians, D1 athletes, MMA fighters, and entrepreneurs, Drink Alchemy has become a huge part of my daily routine making sure I'm functioning optimally during long days of coaching athletes, running CDSF, and getting in quality workouts myself. So do yourself a favor and ditch the energy drinks loaded with caffeine, other stimulants, and who knows what else, and head over to drinkalchemy.com today. Live with your mind unbound and save 10% off your order by using code CDSF at checkout. That's drinkalchemy.com, promo code CDSF for 10% off your order today. What's been, Dr. G, the biggest advances in the study of anatomy and things that they you know people may have thought during the renaissance then and then where we kind of are today like they they write down in textbooks then similar to what an anatomy drawing looks today yeah uh up until that time uh you got to remember that in europe all these people were huns visigoths goths uh people that were basically barbarians who didn't have a writing system, who didn't have literature, couldn't even construct a house. They would just construct huts, and then they'd move on. And they invaded Europe and took over the Roman Empire because they were fierce warriors. And Rome by then was pretty much a, a effete, weakened empire. In fact, most of their soldiers were German. Um, and uh, so by 14, uh, 476 A.D., the Roman Empire fell to the barbarians. Well, the, <clears throat> over the next several centuries, it's amazing how fast these people adopted uh, the Roman culture, traditions, knowledge. Latin became the common language, the language of scholars and of priests and so forth in all of Europe. Uh, you know, forget Hun language, Hungary from the Huns, Visigoths, Spain, uh, England, Anglo-Saxons, forget that. They all spoke Latin. They picked it up. They'd look at Roman sculpture, Roman architecture, and said, oh, my God, these guys were awesome. We'll never be like them. And they emulated them for the next 1,500 years. And one of these was a physician named Galen, who was physician to the gladiators in Rome. Well, back then... Uh, among all religions, all cultures, you couldn't desecrate the human body by dissection. It was not allowed. It was not allowed. And, and there was a very practical reason because 
think Italy, Greece, North Africa, Egypt, all these places, India, China, are along semi-temperate zones. The body rots in three days. You got to bury it as soon as possible. You start dissecting it, it's going to be a pretty stinky mess. Mm -hmm. And secondly, is that the afterlife, you want your body whole. That's why they'd only subsequently dissect criminals that were executed because they're already, you know. You know what's cr- not whole. Do you remember? No, is, all of them. Dr. <laughs> all G, of them are going do to you hell. remember, or Paul, is this still a thing? Remember the bodies exhibit? Yeah. Do you remember that? Wasn't oh, that yeah. wasn't that like Chinese slaves and prisoners, or is that fake? No, I think there's some truth to that, man. Yeah, and I personally I, am disgusted by that exhibit. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was like somebody brought that up. Yeah, and I but was you, like, that is creepy. But yeah, but then you it's think creepy, about what it? you. Yeah, you think about what it really is. You were disgusted by it. It's. It can't be still a thing traveling around, is it? I hope not. Yeah. I mean, it. All, from an ethical standpoint, can you explain it to people if people don't know what 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 this was? Okay, so these are human bodies meticulously dissected, only as the Chinese can do, because they're so attentive to great detail and will spend hours on just one little thing. And these are exquisitely dissected: nerves, lymphatics, everything, except that once they're plastinized, then they put them in these poses. Yeah. Like a fellow playing chess, but tennis, his, his like, brain is, you know, open, uh, playing tennis, but it's, a, you know, defleshed uh, just muscles and, and the viscera and all that. And I find that immoral, to put it mm-hmm. bluntly. Um, and then it starts coming out that maybe these were actually executed political prisoners that were being dissected like that once they died were executed. Yeah, that's what I remember reading. Jay, have you seen these? Do you know? No, what, what era is this? When this, did this happen? Now. To, yeah. Now, 2010s. Google it, Jordan, and take a look right here. Yeah. Just bodies exhibit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I remember when I, when I read that, hey, these may be, yeah, Chinese political, uh, do you know, prisoners, slaves, prisoners slaves. who were executed. Yeah. You're like, yeah. holy shit, man. Yeah. Yeah, Doctor G. I was just thinking. I was just thinking about that. But yeah, Jay, take a look. I mean, it's what Doctor G. I will. G was. I mean, I saw the Bodies Museum in Amsterdam. I know it has a a, a branch in New York City as well. I don't. Is know it if the same thing? I don't know. About. Yeah, I don't think so. I think that those are, you know, people that donated their bodies. But mm. these are just people that are put in these grotesque poses, uh, ostensibly for scientific knowledge or to educate you. But you know, what is seeing a body? opened up playing chess due to your knowledge of of the right. beauty right uh the wonder of the human body which i think is awesome yeah you're so you're still so fascinated and into just learning about the human body yeah well you know i give this course on art and anatomy it's it's a 10 week course and it's how art uh the art of imaging the human body from prehistory, from cave paintings all the way up to the postmodern, and the knowledge of anatomy of our human bodies have overlapped because nothing is done in a vacuum. You know, you and I sit here, we read things online, we're, we're, we know what is going on in the world, and whether we know it, realize it or not, subliminally, we are taking in things that have nothing to do with our chosen careers or, mm-hmm. or work. And yet it becomes part of us, mm-hmm. and we gain from that. And so I can't imagine that uh, artists 
would uh, have no knowledge of what's going on with uh, human anatomy in their own era, in their own culture. And I can't imagine artists trying to, uh, or I mean scientists trying to describe anatomy of the human body not being influenced by what was current in the art at that time. I, I think I make a very good point for that, and there's nothing out there like that. Nothing out there. I'm really thinking of writing a book about that, too. Like what? How, how scientists mm. were influenced by yes. artists and artists e were exactly. influenced by scientists. Exactly. Exactly. And it's very subtle. It's very subtle. And you, you can see it when you look at the paintings, the sculptures, and you look at the uh, anatomical descriptions in text. There's a correlation. They merge. They go in parallel. When there's an advance in one, there's an advance in the exactly. other, and vice versa. Exactly. One influences the other. Yeah, maybe that'll be my next talk. I think that's a. I think that's a good. I think talk. that's a great topic for your podcast. Really, there's nothing that, like it out there. That's a. That's a fantastic topic that you could dive into. Okay, I'll give you an example. Go. Cave art from twenty three thousand years ago. It's called the Dead Man. Now, uh, ninety five percent of cave art is animals. Is this something we can look up so we can have a visual right now, or no? You can try it. What, what, what could we search to see what you're talking about? Dead man, cave art. Okay. Anyway, uh, one of the few renderings of the human body or of the human, and here they're on a hunt of buffalo. Now, the buffalo are very well drawn on these cave walls, usually larger than life. They have to do it under torchlight lamps deep in caves, okay? So it was a ritual. It was a religious experience for them. And uh, they would uh, draw, and in this case, a buffalo who had just been speared by people behind him running with spears. The people are little stick figures, but the buffalo, called an auroch, which is a, an extinct animal now, obviously is rendered very, very well. You can right away recognize it. And the spear goes through his belly and his guts are hanging out. It shows that in the drawing, okay? And in front of him is this little stick figure lying on his back. Is this is this a good depiction right there? That's it. That's it. Can you share a place, Paul, so we all can see? Okay. That's it, the dead man. Yeah, you see? Yeah, I'm familiar with the dead man. Okay. Okay. So all the art historians say this is a dead man. Now he's got this little pole with a bird on it. Either he's distracting the buffalo so the hunters can come up and kill him, or it's some kind of a religious thing to cast a spell on the buffalo. We don't know, okay? That's, that's besides the point. The point is that nobody brings up is that this figure lying on his back, obviously either dead or... or Paul, show me again. Just spin it right here okay. so I can see. Notice this. Is, yeah, what do you notice, this, Mike? Now, now, this would turn you on, Paul. <laughs> there's this little thing sticking out from between right his legs. It's right there. Okay. Yep. Oh, yeah. It's always ignored. He's I showed this to a number of doctors, mm -hmm. and I said, "He's fully torqued. <laughs> yeah, he's rock solid right there." If you see this guy coming is in, is that the a medical terminology? Fully torqued? Yes. Okay. Yes. Page three seventy four of uh, Guyton's Physiology, and uh, <clears throat> you got it. You guys got it. This wasn't an accident. It was put there on purpose because these guys observed the real things. Guts hanging out of an injured buffalo. Guy, all, what do you call it, torqued? Uh, yeah, fully, to fully torqued. torqued. Okay, fully torqued, yes. <laughs> uh, 
it's been so long and uh, so all right could i have more bourbon please yes. i'll pour it up man i showed this to a number of surgeons and everybody said the same thing when i saw this this guy has a spinal cord transection He's been knocked down by the buffalo. His spine has been cracked, so his spinal cord is cut in two. And what's yeah. the first sign of it? Priapism. Torqued up. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Priapism, a.k.a. Paul? Fully torqued. Yeah, yeah. In my day, a hard-on. But it, it's an autonomic thing. I've never heard fully torqued. I forget where I heard I heard it in a movie, and it stuck. All right? <laughs> How did we... <laughs> anyway, <sighs> why, we're gonna gather ourselves. Why do I do this? I don't know. Thank you for being here. <laughs> Can and, I go and, now? And you show up to work out here. That's the thing. <laughs> I know with my dog. Uh, <laughs> okay. Or, or get beaten. However let's you want to do it. <laughs> let's regather right here. Okay. All right. So, so this guy. Obviously, they didn't know. This was 23,000 years ago. They didn't know this is a spinal cord transection with autonomic nerves in the posterior cord uh, being transected. They're saying this guy's got a heart on, and we don't know why, but he's dead or he's going to be dead. And that it goes away after several hours, but this is a sure sign that his spinal cord was transected when the buffalo knocked him down. Yeah. The it, power that, of observation. Because that's right? what happens, right, with like hanging, right? If that, yes, right, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I listen. I've watched some TV. <laughs> what TV are you watching? No, you, <laughs> no, that, that, like that's a. Isn't real... there a thing where you hang yourself? And yeah, get... I tried it once. You know, <laughs> not really, not really. I didn't actually do that. <laughs> you can cut that out, Jordan. <laughs> Autoerotic asphyxiation. Fully torqued. Yeah. Fully torqued. Fully torqued. <laughs> Nothing like it. I don't recommend I it. I definitely no, no. Nobody tried that okay. at Nobody home. Nobody tried it at home. Supervised. Actually, uh, a person I knew, he found his son on Christmas Eve hanging. Oh, yeah. That way. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Couldn't get back on the chair. Jesus. Yeah. So, Oh, so he was trying to go. Uh-huh. Jesus. That route. Fully yeah. torqued. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it didn't go that way. <laughs> no. Well, it went that way. It went that way, but not the way he wanted it to go. But not the way he wanted Yeah, that's as tragic as it gets. Back to the buffalo? Okay. <sighs> anyway, I'll give that talk next time, okay? Okay, okay. All righty. <laughs> so... This has degenerated so badly, and I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> I mean, we can, you know, we can reel it in. We'll reel it yeah, in, please. Yeah, is this what people can expect on your yeah. podcast? <laughs> if I show up. <laughs> and I hope you do. I listen, you, in, you invite us on, we'll be, we'll be ready to go. More pepperonis. <laughs> Or bacon bits. Ooh, Ooh bacon, bacon bits. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. Now, bacon bits. <laughs> Next like, time. Bacon, bacon bits. Bacon okay. bits. <laughs> all right. I love you, man. Oh, uh, I love all you guys. Uh, this, this is this is what I needed for a, a Friday night, you know? Do we stop it here or do we go on? No, we're going. We're going. We have <laughs> so much more to go. You have one more topic to tell us yeah, about. You, yeah, you still have more, more slides here. There's at least... One more, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay, Lord Admiral Horatio Nelson. Okay, that's a painting of him 
uh, with all his medals, <laughs> awards, badges, everything. He started out, he was a minister's son. He joins the Navy, which was very common at age 12. 12? Like, yeah, 12. Uh, his uh, uncle had something to do with the Navy, and he got him in on board a ship, and he worked his way up, and the guy was a genius. And he quickly became admiral, and then he won a number of very major battles, and he just kept going on and on until he was a hero in the British Empire. Well, that's a, a idolized picture of him on the left-hand side where he's about 53 years old. By that time, he's already lost his right arm, blinded in the right eye, has a hernia uh, in his belly from being struck by a you wood said the splitter. You the picture on the left? On the left is a real painting of him at the same time. Uh, he's worn out. He's an old man at 53. Uh, in this period of time, he's gone to America during the American Revolution, caught yellow fever. On the way over, he caught scurvy, which is deficiency of vitamin C, lost most of his teeth. Uh, subsequently, in the Battle of Tenerife, he goes and assaults the battery on this island of Tenerife in the Canary Islands. And he steps ashore around 1 a.m. A cannon goes off and takes off his right arm. His nephew, uh, Nesbitt, pictured here, uh, gets his uh, uncle in his arms and with his kerchief applies a tourniquet, saves his life. He's then rowed. This uh, slide, right, that you're on right yeah, now? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I want to make sure I'm on the yeah, right one. Yeah, there he's, 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 he's been He's the one, like in struck. the boat, right? Yeah, okay. he's been struck, and his arm is, is shattered. He's just hanging on yep. by some ligaments. He's uh, taken to a boat, but he knows that the captain's wife is on board. He says, no, 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 I don't want to disturb her with the sight of my injury. So they roam on to the next boat down the line. I mean, that's you know the kind of guy he was. Mm -hmm. There's a, an English surgeon there, and his assistant is a French surgeon who's uh, switched sides and come to the English side. And so the two of them amputate his arm at 2 a.m. in the morning under lamplight deep down in the bowels of the ship, and they amputate his arm. Is this in, in the surgeon's mate? Yeah. Yeah. And the only thing he complains about is that they didn't warm up the knives before cutting into his arm. They were a little cold. They're cold, too cold. And from then on, he mandated that all the surgeons had to keep their knives in warm water when they're amputating. And that's a picture of him on the right-hand side uh, from a, a TV series from Britain showing him with an eye patch. He never wore an eye patch. In another battle, a cannonball just barely misses him, hits the sand, and the sand and gravel hit his right eye and blind him. It didn't take out his eye. He never wore a patch, but he was blind in that right eye. But this is the fictional thing of him always What's wearing the a sensationalized pant. part yeah. of it. Sensationalized, exactly. And in the middle, after he's lost his right arm, he's yet another battle where uh, a, uh, a cannonball hits the railing next to him, the wooden railing, and a big splinter hits him in the right forehead and takes off flap of flesh down to the skull and is just hanging over his eye. And uh, 
that's the bandage that keeps the flap in place. So from the previous, there's the scar. And the funny thing is this painting, uh, which has been around since his death, was then uh, repaired. And as they're cleaning off the painting of all the soot and grime and everything that accumulated, this scar had been painted over subsequently to like hide the scar, it. The scar that's like right here, right? Yeah, you can see that kind of, mm -hmm. you know, this is the flap of skin that was torn off by the splinter that hit him in the right yeah. forehead. And uh, that was painted over. So that was kind of neat. Well, this is a, a picture from that period of time, a drawing from a medical textbook about how they would remove the right arm. And as I said before, you know, these people, he didn't flinch, didn't flinch. The only thing he complained of was the steel was too cold. Didn't like that. And that's the method. And again, stereo strips to close it up. People, people just had tougher tough. lives. Is that why they were tougher? They were tougher then. We're wimps now. We're wimps. Well, everything's handed to you on a platter, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it can be very easily. Yeah, I mean, give me a Tylenol or a Lord tab, you know. Yeah. Come on. Tough it out. Look at John Wick. <laughs> yeah, look at John Wick, man. Yeah. I listen. I, falls I, three stories dot on a, you know. Did you see the fourth one yet? No, I haven't. And neither have I, Paul. Have you? Yes. What was Doctor G here? I gotta, I gotta pee quick. You guys keep rolling if you, yeah. if you need to. Did you to. hear that? I got a pee. He's got a pee. He's I got, got a pee. pee. He's got to break the seal. What's the movie? What's the movie that you showed me the trailer of, which was bad? Sisu. Yeah. Sisu. You, we still haven't found that. No. And Dan keeps saying it's on Netflix, and you know Dan. He's, yeah, well, yeah. He That's doesn't know. What blew my mind today, speaking of John Wick, is the fact that there was a kid in here who didn't know who John Wick was, and then I proceeded to ask him if he knew who Keanu Reeves was. Jordan. Yeah. He didn't know who Keanu Reeves was. How old was he? He's a freshman in college. Old enough to know who Keanu Reeves is. That guy should be thrown out of college. I don't care how thrown old. Out of country. Yeah. yeah. He should be, I mean, honestly, throw him, just throw him into space because Keanu Reeves <laughs> yeah. is literally like one of the top five like, human beings. you don't know beings. John Wick, you know The Matrix, you know The Matrix, well, you know The Drunk Where yeah. was this guy? You missed him. It was, this, it was like right before you got here. And I looked right at his friend and I was like, listen, I'm like, how did you deal with this? And he was like, I've been dealing with it since I was eight years old, and you can't teach stupid. And, and, and you said he was very tall. And kind very of, tall. Very yeah. tall. Like six, seven. So, like, things that he sees and hears, like, he, he everything just goes right underneath. Well, underneath I him. think that the oxygen doesn't get up That's fair. to his brain. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. There was something I was going to say before we started talking about John Wick, and I can't remember what. It was something to do with your, your actual slides. Hmm. And I felt like it was somewhat intelligent. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like I, I'm trying, trying. That's why I brought that that whole uh, you know feeling, the sensation. Feel better. Yeah, I, you feel good. Did you yeah. make it? Yeah, Everything back. all right? Do I get a treat? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> well, actually, this you didn't finish this. Oh, good. I'll take <laughs> I'll take that later, man. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm not going to give you more if you haven't finished. Yeah, I know that's fair. I do like how this says rehearse with coach, and I feel like Doctor G's our coach tonight. And usually it's, well, we're tor you're the torturer, not the coach, I guess. Like when you're in here working uh, working out. Yeah. It's like switch roles. Yeah, switch oh. roles. Yeah. Like right here, yeah. it says rehearse with coach. Yeah. That's what I'm just looking Where? at. Where? I see. Okay. 
in your head, okay, so we have this Renaissance period, you have the innovations in sciences and the mm -hmm. art. Mm -hmm. What is another period of time where you see there were tremendous like medical advances that set us up to how we function today with okay. medicine? This is another one here. It's the age of enlightenment. I do remember that from school. Okay. A little bit. Yeah. So you're enlightened. Yep. So uh, the age of enlightenment was when people began to think that human beings had liberty, rights, American War of Revolution to gain our independence, the French Revolution, uh, but all kinds of theories about the rights of men and women and uh, uh, a scientific revolution, intellectual revolution. Uh, we began to study uh, electricity, Ben Franklin with the kite, all this kind of stuff. I mean, it is, a, it is an age that led to the Industrial Revolution and then the second scientific revolution in the mid-19th century. Now, I don't want to bore you, but that led to everything we know now. Anyway... So these people were enlightened, and medicine and surgery went along those lines. But remember, again, it was a, a period of time when they didn't have the science or the technology to understand things like infection. It was just, it, it required another 100 years to get to that point. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, again, as we discussed, <clears throat> and I never got a chance to finish this earlier this morning, is that in one or 200 years, people will be looking back on us. Yeah, that, that, that's that, wild. That's about. something that, yeah, we, As, we, talk, we talked about briefly this morning before we worked out. You, need, you got water in there? Do you need some, Dr. G? Yeah, I need more bourbon. Oh, more. Feel, feel about that. <laughs> All right. Are we in then, okay, well, are we in a revolution now with phones yeah. and artificial intelligence? We are. And I don't know where this is going to lead us, but certainly, in my opinion, humble opinion, which is true, I mean, true that I'm right and everybody else is wrong, is that... Uh, <laughs> I love it. I mean, I'm intrigued on your I, thoughts. I, I, uh, I'm always intrigued on your thoughts, but I love how you approach that. I'm right and everybody because, else is wrong. Because yeah. we all see this playing out. Everybody glued to their <clears throat> phone. We talked about this this morning a little bit. Mm -hmm. Glued to their phone. It's a part of you. You are your phone and your phone is you. And and now with AI coming into the picture, yeah, t scary, but also good. We don't know what consciousness is. I mean, look at us. We're sitting here. I'm looking at you. You're conscious of me. Hopefully, it's not a matrix. Hopefully, it's not, you know, in my imagination or yours. Hopefully, but we're conscious that we're all talking, interacting. Could we be in a matrix? Could be. I mean, some physicists are seriously. If I see calories come out of that fucking well, wall, well, because what there's like <laughs> there's like string theory, and there's things that like there were civilizations before us, and we are just something they created and are what like I don't know. It gets crazy. It gets crazy. But okay, so are we in this revolution though with AI and phones? We are, and I don't know where it's going to go. I mean, it could go bad or it could go. Would good. this be like considered like almost like the third scientific revolution? Yeah. Exactly. Very good. It's like, you, it's like you taught me something. Yes. Yes. I think I've reached like five at this point. I think I'm on a five. I'm on five right now. Where is it? Where is it going in your opinion? Five pepperonis. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I really don't know. Um, 
But it needs to be controlled and administrated, and it has to be responsible scientists and, and technologists that lead it forward. It, it could be very bad for a while till we can what get would, it under control. What would be bad? Terminator. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I think that's a brilliant movie. I really do. The um, scary thing is that it's something that is possible. Yeah, well, an AI point. that gets so smart develops consciousness that, that it rebels against us. Yeah. Like I think of uh, did you see I Robot with Will Smith? Yes. Like, well, I read the book. Like, say, there's a book. There's a book. <laughs> I yeah, no, yeah, the movie Will Smith. Um, but yeah, it, like I'm same thing. That pepperoni away. <laughs> All right, down, I'm down to four. Down, down to four. Um, but yeah, like it's the same thing as that. You know, just robots that you create for good that end up getting some sort of subconscious. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, there's that AI thing. I, th I Did I discuss it with Dan or with you? Where this guy is interacting with AI and it's telling him, I'm in love with you. You need to leave your wife. Did you see that? No. I, think, I feel like I remember you were telling, I remember yeah. this because you were telling Honest to God, the it. AI is telling him, you need, you, you need to leave your wife. I'm in love with you and you are in love with me and you don't know it and you need to this is ai yeah talking to him tell him this stuff that's scary yeah and this is just the inception of it right yeah right this is the very this is the earliest of stages yeah nascent it's called that's the you know nascent. smart word for yeah, yeah, nascent yeah. nascent like I mean, I feel like there's a lot of good that could come from. Where it, is it helping in medicine now? That's what I was just going to get to. It's not. Uh, my wife uh, it should be, but it's not. No, my wife uh, works for St. Peter. She's a physician, smarter than me, if you can believe it. In some ways, I can definitely but... believe it. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh shit! Back down to three. Three. Um, <laughs> Asshole. But, uh, <laughs> I used to like you. Um, yeah, well, you know. Anyway, she now is in administration because she's older, poor thing. And uh, uh, she uh, argues with insurance companies every day. Well, AI is part of that whole formula that tells you whether a patient should be uh, paid for their admission or they should not be paid by insurance. So there's an algorithm that's determining that, not a human. And it's an AI algorithm. And it's nonsense, it's bullcrap. And she'll look up a diagnosis, and AI tells her this list of stuff that could possibly be wrong with the patient, and it's BS. She knows better because she's had experience. Right. Yeah. Experience. Experience Hands is a big on. part. Hands on, exactly. Big part and everything. Big part. AI doesn't have that. Because, Jordan, what's the chat GPT doing? It's just scouring the internet very quickly and giving you a synopsis of... Correct. It has no original thought. It's not capable of original thought. Yeah. The fact that it could... Yes. Okay. <laughs> he pointed at Paul. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that someday it could teach but itself... But he's nice. And, <laughs> and develop beyond the database of information that's available on the internet and have its own thoughts that's, that's the scary right. part yeah, that's the, well, exactly and, and i know i read recently guy from google i think left because of yeah. the advancements of the ai at google and it did happen what, and he was saying how dangerous it could be and yeah yeah i read things yeah 
Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. I try. That's good. Yes. <laughs> yes. Back to four. <laughs> but a little one. All right. Three, three and a half. <laughs> yeah. How do you, Dr. G, filter through <clears throat> the crazy amount of information that's like out there now? Like what's your- I what use Keurig. The but, filters. I, 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 I'm glad because when you said <laughs> Over that, coffee. when you said that in my head, that's what I thought, and then I was like, yeah, I, I mean, hope that me and him are on the same page. Shout right out, now. shout out to Keurig. I enjoy a good Keurig too. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Nespresso. I'm on the Nespresso pods right now. Great. Oh, you're back on the coffee grind. Oh, every day now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I stopped for a while, but I'm back on it. Then now. there was a baby that showed up. Yeah, man, I love. Showed coffee. up right at his door. I don't know what happened. Uh, Stork. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, how do you? I mean, like, there's so much sensationalism, like you talked about, and constant news on your phone, like we talked about. Okay. What my wife calls critical thinking. Critical thinking. I know that's over your head. Oh, listen, I can catch on to that. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I know. I'm, We're talking I'm, to Paul. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm thinking. I don't know if it's critically, but. But uh, anyway, you know, you've got to question everything. That's the basis of science. You question everything an article comes out in science or nature which are the two top journals for uh scientists and i read them both every month and uh you got to look at it critically and if you think nah, then you try and re uh, replicate their experiments and see if you come up with the same results science is always trying to find that it's wrong right mm -hmm. that's the basis of science prove that i'm wrong so for a general population person with no medical experience and mm -hmm. they're reading news, I feel like now people have their thoughts and opinions and they're just going to disregard anything that's not exactly that. Right. If, if somebody here is listening and they have the wherewithal to register that that's me, which if that's you, you're probably not going to register that's you, but say you do, what do you tell them? Can't tell them anything. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, honest to God, people want to believe what they want to believe. You know, they, they, they'll only read that which uh, parallels their own thinking. Yeah, this is, this is what I was thinking all along. Okay, yeah, it agrees with me. And anything that I read that doesn't agree with what I think is got to be wrong. Yeah, and, and you see it a lot, especially in – the fitness industry, and I'm sure obviously with history, but like in the fitness industry, you'll see, and then there's one guy I follow in particular who will defunct these people because they'll just take the pieces of the study that, that they back, want to that back up what they said. Yeah, it's cherry picking. But yeah. they don't. Exactly. Then they don't take the conclusion that actually count, contradicts what their point is. So then he'll go on and be like, "Well, this person didn't take X, Y, and Z," and mm -hmm. then he'll show the whole study and it exactly contradicts what their point is. What about Dr. G research and where the funding comes from? Touche. Oh boy. Okay. That that uh, that is a uh, quagmire there. Um <clears throat> quagmire giggity giggity. Pour yeah. me up. <laughs> Crown. It's not something you eat by the way. Uh, I, I know, quite. but okay. but uh, yeah, Doctor. I mean, because that's going to have an influence on what the study is and what the outcomes show, give and how a, the studies ran. Give me a exactly. Uh, and I've I've got several articles just recently that I read in Science about bias in science, and that's the whole goal. Don't drain all of it. And uh, the uh, 
whole idea in science is, is not to be biased, to be objective, but as human beings, we're biased. We can't help it. We want the outcome to be what we deep in our hearts want it to be. Mm-hmm. I remember doing research, and I take it to my mentor, and I said, you know, on this graph, I got all these little dots that are not quite lined up in a straight line that you'd want to see. Those are outliers. Forget them. Just draw the straight line with the ones that line up. I mean, right. what about the ones that don't what, line what, up? What about the 50 out of 100 that didn't line up? Exactly. You know? <laughs> They're outliers, okay? Okay. Outliers automatically, you know. If 50% of them are outliers, are they outliers? <laughs> yes. Know, like, I mean, you know, honest you, to God, that's what happens in science. If right? it was 1%, I feel like you see that. In, you see that in our field. I'm sure it's in all fields, but with nutrition a lot, mm-hmm, right? You'll mm-hmm. you'll get that, uh, uh, I don't know, carbohydrate is bad. And then you have to think, where is this research coming from? Uh, the Dairy Council. Oh, the Meat Council, right? It's like, sure. yeah. it's like what? who's funding sure. what this is yeah. showing. Does that happen in the in the medical field in your in your history of the research as well? Yeah, I can give a couple examples right off the top of my head. Uh, autism caused by vaccines. Yeah, people people. Sam had a coworker I think say that to her. And she was like, what "The fuck!" Like, yeah. <laughs> the the British scientist absolutely fabricated the data. Cherry picked what he wanted to, and it became it's something that stuck for people. All right. The other thing is. Prevagen, the commercials you see on TV, mm-hmm. it's from a jellyfish to improve your memory. Now, what the F are you going to get from a jellyfish Yeah, in terms of memory? I mean, come on, it's a damn jellyfish, and you're going to take the guts of the jellyfish and eat it in a pill, and it's going to improve your memory? I mean, come on. I Even you, Paul. Yeah. Even you are smarter than a jellyfish. I mean, I hope so. Shout out Honest to, to God. Honest to God, I hope so. Is. If I'm not, if I'm not, this. No, no, I know it. I know it. Okay. Me too. I know. I know, I know if you get stung by a you're... jellyfish, you're supposed to pee on it. No. Not the jellyfish. That's a myth too. Is it a myth? Yes. Is it really a myth? It's really a oh. myth. Anyway. I'm glad you broke that for me. <sighs> <laughs> I've never been stung by a jellyfish, but I know somebody that has, and it didn't work, so I assumed it was a myth. <laughs> but yeah, okay, these articles and cherry picking. <sighs> anyway, so... <laughs> Prevagen, all the scientific studies are done by one guy who, guess what, works for Prevagen. Right. Yeah. Says, yeah, this is great for your memory. I'm sorry. Yeah. Prevagen doesn't work. Right. I mean, okay, think think about the number of deaths and the crisis we have now in our country with opioids. And Jordan, what was the show was with Michael Keaton? Dope Sick. Dope Sick. Did oh, you watch dude, that, that, Dr. G? That's no. A, that show's but I fucked. Jordan, can you just give a synopsis? Because I know you watched it. and uh, It's really Michael good. Michael Keaton is a small town uh, physician uh-huh. who buys into the, um, is it Purdue Pharma? I yes. think Purdue Pharma yep. yeah. uh, drug salesmen who tell them, you know, this is a non-addictive short-term. It was for relief. Oxy, right? It's for, yeah, Oxycontin. Yeah. Um. And he believes them and prescribes it to his local patients, and they get addicted. He gets addicted, and yeah, I guess that's the setup. Cool. It's very good. It's and very, what's the it, name of it? Dope uh, Sick. Dope Sick. On Hulu. It's very good. Yeah. Very good. I watched it, and it's it gives you a very different perspective on that 
I mean, I lived that. I had drunk ribs. And some of these were nice-looking ladies that yeah, come in in short skirts. Mm-hmm. And they were trying to literally seduce you into buying their products. And I remember this one telling me exactly that. It's non-addictive. You want to use this on all your surgical patients post-op. That's like yes. word for word what they say. Now, what's the, the deal? Why, do, was, do, was Michael do, Keaton playing you? And is it just about money? Do some Do some MDs not register what research really is they just don't know it's about making money it's... they're too damn busy i was gonna say so you it, just is... say yes and yes and that's that 75 percent of what doctors learn in practice is what they read in ads honest to god truth it's scary right it's scary it's mm-hmm. scary as hell they believe the ads because they don't have the time to go into the, all the research and read the right article. i was just gonna say that like i didn't want to say the word lazy it's more of like just the time yeah, no, they're it's not, not lazy because they're no. working their asses they're off. They're working their asses off. But it's like they just don't have the time to sit there and yeah. go, okay, let me sit my ass down for three hours and go through all the research on this and figure it out. They're like, okay, this sounds good. Sounds like it's going to work. Yeah. It's I mean, you have a life. nice looking gal, and they are cherry picked. Of course. The drug reps. The research that they're showing you, you're saying, is cherry picked. No, the, no, the, the reps, reps themselves the reps. are cherry picked. You know, tight blouse, short skirt, come in, sit down, tell you. You know, this is non-addictive. This is what you want to prescribe. And I can even give you some free samples and try it out. Ah, okay. Right. I, I'm sorry, you know, I'm, i got to get next to the next patient. Uh, uh, I could go into details that I don't want it, to, but these funny. drug reps are... It's crazy because, like, just, like, how you're describing it is literally it's exactly how it happens in the show is it really like literally yeah. exactly how it happens and in the show the other variable is the fda and yes. the funny business there yeah the, what's the, the, what's the funny business with the fda jordan um dr g can you uh refresh my memory on what a black label is that comes from the fda only thing i can think of is liquor yeah okay <laughs> johnny, johnny walker <laughs> i mean that's fair that's fair Paul, no honestly just, i yeah. can't what? no there's something related to a black label that essentially uh, uh denotes that something is or is like, not what should i look up black label F- FDA. FDA. fda yeah i've never heard of that honestly black yeah. box warning black box Go. warning means what paul um i've never seen that let me look up black box warning yeah so okay but essentially purdue in purdue would hire FDA employees after they work for the FDA and pay them crazy money if they helped Purdue or... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So black box warnings are the strictest labeling requirements that the FDA can mandate for prescription drugs. First implemented in 1979, black box warnings highlight serious and sometimes life-threatening. It's all the stuff you hear like in a commercial at the end. But don't That's you, what it is. Don't you see that now still, Dr. G? Like people who are working with government are now heads of Pfizer and heads of Moderna and... Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, I do. Yeah. 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 So there was funny business with the black box label. And yeah, I, I remember that because that's early on in the series. Like they like fudge some things or something to make it so it's non-addictive, but it's right. fucking Oxycontin. <laughs> well, they get, show you all these graphs and stuff, yeah. but they've been generated by the drug company. Or or they had right. the outliers that were the 70%, and they only followed the 30% or long Exactly, line. right. right. You know, but the Remember outliers that outliers, 70%. that's a great term, you know. You know, like anything uh, you want to disregard is an outlier. Yeah. Nice yeah. term. Yeah. That's true. <clears throat> yeah, man. Um Jay, you queued up some stuff, yeah, that you want to talk about with Dr. G? 
Yeah, I've got some questions for Dr. G. Yeah, throw okay. them out there. Is this offline or? No, this, no, this is, is on air, baby. Oh, on oh. air. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Okay. Well, we'll see. I mean, if it goes it goes down a weird path, no, we'll, I, we'll, we'll edit, yeah. Jordan will let it out. No, I'm, sure. I'm going to start with the, the softest ball I have. I'm um, curious. Yeah, soft Hold balls. on. That, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you already queued it up. Yeah, yeah. It's my right Mine ball. is getting pumped up. <laughs> I'm working. Are you torqued? <laughs> are you fully torqued? <laughs> half torqued. Half torqued. Um, and I now look this up and we can put up an image. But what is, in your Don't opinion. Don't show this. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, what is the most? I had a respectable career. <laughs> we know. Had, had, had. We know. <laughs> um, fashionable, ornate, decadent military uniform. Oh, I love them. What, who, who what do you era? Like? What era? What country? Who had it? France, Napoleonic era. Uh, <clears throat> General Marat, who was a uh, by marriage related to Napoleon. Uh, was recklessly brave and courageous. He was a cavalry officer. He charged into battle. He was nuts. I mean, he had no fear because he was crazy. Uh, but he won a lot of battles. But he loved his uniforms. Officers were allowed uh, to make their uniforms whatever way they wanted to. Is that that's not, not even it. close. Okay. Not I'm even close it. to what Marat wore. All these braids, buttons, okay. everything. And he'd ride into battle with this ornate uniform. And Napoleon said that Marat looks like a circus monkey riding on the back <laughs> of a horse. <laughs> and I think for 200 years ago, it's a wonderful description. He's in my book, by the way. He's in there too. Yeah. Do you it, find it, Jay? No. Okay. No. He 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 was very courageous, but he was also reckless and nuts and had no brains. And what capacity is in your book? Uh, he saves my hero. He saves him. He comes running up on his horse. Uh, the uh, uh, the to be wife of the protagonist, Jacques. Uh, bayonets a Prussian soldier who's about to kill her, her lover, and she bayonets him in the liver, and he says, you bitch. And he's <laughs> down on his knees holding his side, and he pulls out his flintlock. He's about to kill the woman when uh, the Spanish medic comes up behind him out of the smoke of the gunpowder with his knife that he uses to cut bandages, Grabs his head, pulls him back, and cuts his throat. You got to read the book. I actually want to. I do want to. Yeah, yeah I got a couple copies, Jay. I so. thought you did. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So Marat comes galloping up, and he's and he loves the ladies, and she's you know very nice looking. Uh, one, my friend fell in love with her. Her name is Angeline. He says, "What a babe," and uh, he's. <laughs> And uh, he comes up and he has his horse bow down in front of her. And he says, how can I help you, mademoiselle? And she says, can you free my husband? He's trapped under these dead horses that fell on top of him. And so, you know, he calls his people in and they pull the horses off of him. And uh, then he charges off again, just yelping and brandishing his sword. He doesn't have any weapons on him, just his sword. And he goes charging to battle with all these braids and everything flying off his shoulder. 
and he assaults the enemy with just this little damn sword. Uh, fascinating character, Murat, M-U-R-A-T, Murat. M-U-R-A-T? M-U-R-A-T. A handsome guy. Jean-Paul? Jean-Paul, Murat. And uh, he'd go charging to battle with these fantastic uniforms that made him look like a monkey on the back of a horse. That's... <laughs> What's the helmet from on the desk? I asked you before we started recording, okay. but those designs are, yeah. Dragoons. Okay. Yeah, probably, yeah. Oof. Excuse me. Yep. Dragoons were, in the 18th century, they were infantry mounted on horses. It, I have a question. Is, is, is that more of an accurate that's, depiction? That's exactly Marat. Here, Paul, show me Marat. I mean, I'm, I'm oh, yeah. 100% straight, but even Marat. He kind of makes you know. Listen, he's got the point he's got some flow. I'm not gonna he's lie, got, the curls get me. You know. Hey, honest is, to God, you know. If he was to, is never mind. Is uh, he is he fully torqued in that picture? I'm sure he is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he is. Fully torqued is definitely gonna be a soundbite that's used later yeah. on. I mean, the guy was stupid as hell, but he he just had absolute Charisma. no yeah charisma charisma and no fear mm. no fear. Yeah. Mm. No but, fucks. As okay, as that. what's that? What's <laughs> what's that helmet from that's in your hand yeah. right now with the red? It's a dragoon. There were infantry that were put on horses, uh, called light cavalry, and even after gunpowder and all this, you know, a bullet would smash right through the skin coming one side, not the other. I have this fantastic picture taken from the Battle of Waterloo in 1815, where this Carabinier, who has a, a short little musket charges into battle, he's French, he has this bronze press breastplate, which doesn't do any good against gunpowder, and this was recovered on the battlefield. There's a cannonball that goes straight through the breastplate and out the other side, big hole. I was going to say, there's got to be a giant hole right there. Giant hole. And uh, so they wore these helmets because not only did they uh, use their little muskets, the carabineers, uh, called dragons, and that's why they're called dra uh, dragoons, and all armies had these. They'd also wear helmets because they would have swords, and they'd fight on horseback with sabers. Now, I was a, believe it or not, I was a saber man in college on the fencing team. Ah. Okay. Okay. And uh, with a saber, uh, modern Olympic rules are that with the saber— you use the same uh, techniques like you did back 200 years ago when you were on a horse, meaning that you would hit the guy with a saber either in the head, shoulders, trunk, down uh, to the groin. And you're scoring points through that. And you're scoring points. But anything below the groin, the thigh, the legs, doesn't count. Why? If you'd bend down to try and hit the guy in the leg or foot, you'd be down, exposing your head, and the guy could come down with his saber and kill you. And the helmet was meant to protect them. Now, obviously, it wouldn't protect against gunpowder, but it would protect you against uh, what we call interpersonal Hand-to-hand -hand conflict. Hand-to-hand yeah. hand hand combat. Hand That's yeah. the civilian term. Yeah. But close encounter combat, uh, where you'd 
literally, you know, hand-to-hand combat. Most most people listening are civilians, so I got to make sure. Okay, if hand-to-hand combat. I got to make sure that they, they know what we're talking about. <laughs> Dr. G, if we're talking close encounter combat, mm-hmm. what civilization or group of people would you least want to encounter in close encounter <sighs> combat? If you saw them, you'd go, I'm fucked. I mean, I could think Samurai. of... Samurai. Okay. Explain. I was gonna say Sam. I was gonna say Vikings, but you know. yeah, Vikings are pretty good with their battle axes. That's what I mean. I'm not trying to get fucked up by a battle axe. Uh, no, you know, <laughs> you don't want a battle axe to the head. I mean, I wouldn't want to meet any of these people. <laughs> right, right. That's right. That's fair. But I'm saying, <laughs> but you'd be the most fearful. Uh, Samurai were trained from childhood with these fantastic blades called katanas uh, that were tempered. They'd be folded over and over and over again as they were being uh, made in the forge so that they're super strong, super flexible. And I got a couple at home. And honest to God, they'll slice your head off in a second. And even with the armor, I would not want to counter a uh, experienced samurai. I mean, the moves he would make, I'd be dead in a split second. I, I mean, I, wouldn't, I, I would take John Wick over the samurai, but... Besides that, yeah, Samurai. Well, at a distance, yeah. yeah at a distance. At right. A distance. Close quarters. Eh. Close quarters. No. No. Yeah. Samurai win the battle. And in John Wick 3, you know, you have these. Well, these... you got to see John Wick 4 before you can, you know. Oh, okay. But the Asian guys that are fighting with yeah. the Samurai armor mm. in the background. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, kicking him through the glass panes. Oh, yeah. He... I love that. What's your favorite war movie? Favorite war Ooh, movie? That's a good question. Wow. Because there's, there's some solid ones out there I can think of. There are of. some. You know, obviously, uh, uh, Saving a Private Ryan. Yeah, I remember that's the first that one. That's the first one that popped up. That was one that Dad had, us, uh, had me watch, at least when I was younger. I remember. I don't know about you. Did you no, see... I was watching Scooby-Doo and Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see Lone Survivor with, but, Mark, uh, with Mark Wahlberg? Who? Lone Survivor. Yes, I did. I thought that was also very, pretty good. That was pretty good. Okay, Saving Private Ryan. Saving Private Ryan's like the... The epitome. Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a little 70s kind of yeah, movie. Yeah, uh, What's the other one that I'm thinking of? I can't yeah. think of the name right now. Uh, Black Hawk Down? Black Hawk Down I liked. Yeah, yeah, that was very good. Yeah, those yeah. are like Saving Private Ryan and I feel like Black Hawk Down are the first two that pop into my That's, mind. Black Hawk Down's good, Paul. And then Lone Survivor, I, I'm a big Mark Wahlberg fan and I really like that movie. Plus, like uh, the guy he plays in that, Murph, like that's the the Murph workout oh, for is sake. is based off of him. Yeah. So that right. movie is is him. Yeah. Right. right, right, yeah, yeah. This is a true story too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's but, like what is considered like our generation's like modern day like war hero. Mm-hmm. This may surprise you. What Doctor? See, I know G? a few things. What Doctor? That G? surprises you, doesn't it? What's going to surprise us? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> all quiet on the Western Front, the original movie. Oh, black and white. Haven't seen. I, I should see. Have you seen the? I know the name. I know. I know the name that Jordan, you're talking about. Jordan, there's a remake of it. Yeah, I think it's German. It's on Netflix. No, no, no. That's the remake. That yes. Sucks. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's what I'm talking. Oh, that it sucks. sucks. You've seen it. Okay. Sucks because it's not true to the book. The I feel like my stepdad's seen this black and it. white movie from, and I can't remember the actor's name. No, from like 1930 or something. Mm-hmm. And. It's fantastic for that time. It's brilliant. It's about a German soldier who's in college and he's recruited and he's got all these ideals about 
war and he finds out it sucks and he's in a, a trench and these French soldiers are coming out of the trenches assaulting him and there's all this coiled barbed wire, if you can find that, the machine guns, and he's abandoned machine gun. And these French soldiers are charging with bayonets, and he's mowing them down, and they're just dropping right and left. Can you find that scene, Jake? In we, front of them. The scene? Is that what you're yeah. talking about? You're describing yeah. a scene right now? Yes. You want me to pop, pop you, up a scene? If you can. Yeah, if you can. What doctor you talking about? Give Jordan, help Jordan search for it right here. And, uh... <clears throat> what? Say the name of the movie again? All quiet on the on the, on the western yeah, front. Yeah, got that. Front. You're talking about seeing in which he. And I'm trying to think what. of the actor. It's now. definitely something like you when you as soon as you said it, I was like, I'm 90 percent sure like my stepdad has seen this movie. I'm sure he is. And uh, mind, there's this scene where and he's mowing down these French soldiers with a machine gun because it's such, you know, primitive military tactics against modern weaponry, and he's mowing them down. And this French soldier comes up close to him, and he mows him down, and he falls down right in front of him, and he's holding on to the barbed wire. And just as he grips the barbed wire in his death throes, an explosion blows him apart. And as the smoke clears, all that's left are just his hands hanging on to the barbed wire. And the guy freaks out. I mean, it's incredible for 1930. Yeah. It's incredible. Well, in 1930, like you said, like technology, all that yeah. is not the same as it is. Like now, yeah, I'm you not wanna, talking about technology. You, I'm talking about you wanna, the you emotional like, impact. You want to yeah. see like that now? You just use CGI and yeah, exactly. But no, I don't know how the hell they did it. Yeah, but that's, it's, that's pretty cool. Very, yeah. It's and cool it to just, think about that. He stuff. realizes, you know, just how awful war is, and war <laughs> is awful. You know, the people that want peace the most, that respect peace the most. Our soldiers, mm-hmm. yeah, because okay. they know what war is all about. Are we ever? We'll never be in a time on Earth where there's not war. We're too territorial and have too many. It's egos. It's gonna be a long, long time. We did forget one more war movie though. What? Forrest Gump. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, yeah. it's good. I mean, I wouldn't say contextually. No, but good, good for what but it is. I good kinda, for what it is. Vietnam sucked. <laughs> I had a friend in college who went. Did, did you? And he got uh, absolutely gunned down by machine gun fire. And he came back. I mean, listen, he was a wrestler in college. He came back just a doctor. G, dork. we're too we're too young for that. But what a crazy fucking time! I mean, you thought from the beginning, like, why are we over there? We shouldn't be there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like yeah. I remember watching, and again, obviously, it's sensationalized. It's a Hollywood movie, but uh, American Gangster. And how they talked about with Denzel Washington. Have you seen this? Is that Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe? No, I haven't seen it. It's a it. very good movie. I'm a Denzel Washington fan. Should I watch it? I would okay. recommend it. Okay. It's definitely a good movie. But they talk about it's all about he's the first like black mafia guy that's okay. gonna like be competition to Italians. But he goes overseas to Vietnam because of the drug trade that's going on. Mm-hmm. Heroin, yeah. all that. And like the military is what's kind of fueling his empire essentially and it'd be interesting to see hear your opinion on how accurate some of that stuff is okay as far as like the you know heroin use and and drug use over in vietnam which i you know other things i've read is pretty Pretty accurate yeah um but it was it's a interesting it's a very good movie but it does dive into like that side of it do you vietnam stuff do you do you look at 
the war in Iraq and Afghanistan as a similar thing? Like, why were we there or no? Somewhat, somewhat. Yeah, there are parallels. <clears throat> Unfortunately, Iraq, Afghanistan was based on a lie. That they had weapons of mass destruction? Exactly. WMDs. Yeah. And I don't know how, but Rumsfeld, I hold in absolute disrespect. Why? Why would... Why would they say that, Dick Cheney and Rumsfeld, and say that, hey, there's weapons? Because Rumsfeld had an agenda. He's a neoconservative. He believed that uh, it was the mission of America to establish democracy everywhere, and that any lie was uh, was acceptable to establish democracy in a non-democratic nation or government. And so he could lie his head off. Yeah, man. I mean, he sent thousands of kids to their yeah. deaths. And then does watching the poll out last year drive you crazy? And then just all of a sudden the Taliban take back over and like that's that? Or what? Drives me friggin' crazy. Because it's like, what was, the, what was the point of the last 20 years? Yeah. Friggin' crazy. 30 years. Because the point now, anybody listening, we screen. know somebody who passed away over there, whose families were mm -hmm. affected over there, who came back home and weren't Sorry. the same and affected yep. here. The only cool thing I can think of from that is that a kid we went to high school with, his brother was part of the unit that found uh, not Osama, uh, Sudan, Hussein. He was yeah, part of that well, unit. That's the only it, thing that I can think of that was how, like, oh, this yeah, is kind of cool. Like, he yeah, found but, him. Yeah, but, but everything else, I'm like, what was the point? Yeah, exactly. You know? I mean, he is a bad guy. Oh, he's but, a you know, bad man pajama, but, you know. <laughs> What? Okay, like Jay. Want a pepperoni? <laughs> Jay, we've talked yes. about this then. What okay, part? so let's let's talk about what Doctor we talk about. Let's talk about world leaders and who. You realize we're going on two hours here. Yeah, let's. Are you good? Are you good? I'm good, but who the hell is going to listen this long? Who, who knows? But uh, we just. So I'm having fun. Us. Us. Yeah, the, I'll go on. Go. World leaders. Yeah. I'm curious who you think, I mean, to say worst world leader is subjective, that's tough, but yeah. who would you say is the most destructive? In history or I would say, or now? No, let's say uh, since the 20th century. Since Stalin. Stalin, over mm -hmm. Mao. Tough, that's a tough one. Are those the top two? Yeah, those are the top two. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I don't, there I, I don't know, you could go either way, Stalin or Mao. What about as a U.S. president, who was the most destructive? Ooh, Good boy. question, Jordan. Wow. Oh, God, gosh. In our in in Doctor in our lifetime here, in Doctor G's lifetime, or ever? Well, I think because of the scale of war, it is going to be our lifetime. I don't think you're going to yeah. say that Thomas Jefferson was the most destructive president, even though he's a piece of shit. Yeah. Yes. And <laughs> well, I I so many ways I respect <laughs> Jefferson, but so many ways I don't. Yeah. I'd, I'd That's a tough to thing with like the the way back presidents. Yeah, I'd have to say George W. Bush. Yeah. Yeah. Bush. Bush because Bush. of the war in Iraq and yeah. Afghanistan. Because and the he was, That's I'm sorry, but he was not a smart man. He was. I I agree. I agree. I mean, I met him several times. Uh, very likable guy. Nice. Felt you'd want to go out to a bar with he was a frat guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that and running our country is a different thing. But he was thing. run by Rumsfeld and. And uh, well, how much? I also wonder too with that, like, because of the way our system is set up with our government, is how much is it really the president is that person, or is it the people that he has to report to? It depends. Like Trump, 
absolutely had control over everybody. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. that's why I'm curious if you think Bush is, you know, quote unquote worse than someone say like Nixon. In some ways, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I understand because that, Nixon sure. actually tried to end the war through mm -hmm. Kissinger. Actually tried to get out of there for political reasons, not for humanitarian reasons. Uh, Nixon was a piece of S H I T, but uh, what does that spell? <laughs> <laughs> Shite. Give this guy Shite. a treat. <laughs> but uh, Bush was so naive. I think that's so the part. That's that's the problem. Is like it's almost like he was so oblivious. Yeah. To what was really happening. I think you're too young. I know. But 2008, the financial crisis. I was I was 18. Well, that's too young. Yeah, it's different than now, it's though. I mean, now. It's we different. have money now. We're, you know, we're doing things now. And like, I, I do remember though, my mom and just like my parents, and especially my dad. My dad was one that I. But okay, I talk about talk about oh eight and it's horrible, 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 and Bush did nothing mm -hmm. for four months, nothing, nothing, to try and stem the blood flow in our economy didn't hear a word from him he was like i'm out of it i've been you know there's a new president coming in let him deal with it right um mm -hmm. uh, likable guy awful president it's like we go on it's like do things dr g they just swing one way to the other you have bush not a great public speaker and then you know, and then you shift to Obama, very presidential, incredible public speaker. And then you shift to Trump, to the other side of this. You know what I mean? It's like you had this quick shift all the way one way, all the way the other way, all the way back one way. Martin Luther, mm -hmm. back in the 16th century. Martin Luther said that history is like a drunk man, like us, on a horse. And he falls off the horse on one side only to get back on the saddle and fall off on the other side. Mm -hmm. Exactly what you said, Mike. Yeah, it's uh, back it's, and it's forth. cyclical. Back and forth. You know, it's just... Yeah. yeah. Cyclical. Listen, cyclical. sometimes... Very good word. Sometimes I come... Like, think of it. The end of the last podcast. Listen, we get to the end of the get, podcast, my brain starts flowing. Get this guy... Can you tell how many treats Paul finished up with tonight? No, I... I <laughs> well, we try. had to take some away. We had, I think we ended yeah. up at like four and a half. But uh, I think that's about right. Yeah, but I think that's a good way. I'm hungry. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're doing more. <laughs> but yeah, that's a more that's a more intelligent. That's a better visual way to put it. You fall off one side of the horse drunkenly. You wake up on the other side drunkenly. Wait four fall. years. Go back to the other side <laughs> yeah. drunkenly. Well, that's also the tough thing is like that whole eight year. Max. This is good. I'm sorry. It's good. He yeah. should be sorry. It's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a disgusting human being. <laughs> oh, I mean, man. you know, Mr. Beasley is his son, so. I love Mr. Beasley. He got checked out. He's, He's good. Hey, okay, I'm going to bring we, him yeah, back next week. Me and you talked, and, and I, I was very happy to hear the positive report. Good. I'm glad he's we were we ready to put him down two weeks ago. That, just, ah, that, that, that kills me. That we love Mr. I, Beasley. Your shit balled. too. I balled more than I did at the death we, of my we mother. We had somebody come in here today who's a, a, a 
OG member who I see What's once OG? in a while. Uh, original member, we'll say. Original oh, gangster. Okay. Original gangster's OG. That's you too. You're, you're an OG too. But oh, yeah? he came in and when you left, you were and we're talking to me about Mr. Beasley. He was like, "Did his dog pass away?" And I was like, "No, no, no. He actually was just talking to you about it. Yeah. He's perfectly healthy now." But yes, it's, it's it's a you know it's a tough thing to deal with. It is. It's uh, they're so close. I mean, mm-hmm. they're innocent. So they're two year old mm-hmm. children. Yeah, yeah. They're so innocent. Yeah, they give you unconditional love. Unconditional it's... love. I just read an article last night about do dogs really love you, and the answer is yes. You know how I know that? I saw a video recently. Yeah, and I, and I like these videos where they'll have like the couple that has a dog. Mm-hmm. And then they'll run the opposite direction, and the dog has to choose which direction. This dog literally went like this and around in a circle. <laughs> it didn't know what to do. It literally just ran in a circle. It was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I love you both. I'm just gonna stand here and I'm gonna run in a circle. <laughs> like that's me. They're they're yes. <laughs> Want a pepperoni? <laughs> <laughs> they're the best, man. Um, yeah, we said a lot tonight, huh? We did. Oh God, we, we did. We said everything. Did too we much. say too much? Too much. No. We didn't say too much. There's I didn't more even to be get said. to the third part. Well, well, there's more parts. What was the third part? Well, I didn't end up with Horatio Nelson. Let's finish. Why don't we finish tonight okay. with Horatio Nelson, and then maybe with a John Wick clip to finish it, and then we'll we'll wrap it okay. up. Okay. So very quickly, thanks for staying on, guys. No, this is it's the most enjoyable part of my week. So let's let's. That do was this his thing. flagship in the Battle of Trafalgar when he fought the French and the Spanish combined fleet because they're going to invade. England in 1805 under Napoleon, and that's his. It's a gorgeous ship. It's it's one of the few ships that's still Is this preserved. The, the HMS Victory. You're yeah, saying? Okay. yeah, and that's me in front of it, and that's my wife on the gun deck. Now the whole ship, the whole length, had three decks, three levels of these huge guns firing all, boom, on the enemy. I mean, can you imagine? And uh, Nelson was walking along the decks during the battle because officers weren't allowed to hide. They had to be in the open, walking along the decks during the battle. And a sniper from a ship, a French ship that had hit alongside the victory, a sniper up in the rigging shot Nelson through the epaulet that transected his spine and part of his uh, pulmonary artery. That's the exact spot where he died when I was on the victory. That's the exact spot. Now, the planking has all been replaced, but that's the spot where he died, where he was hit. But he took three hours to die. That sounds terrible. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty bad. He was paralyzed from the waist down. That's the actual, what they call the cockpit, the cockpit was below the water level because it was the safest place because if you're below the water, excuse me, I got the hiccups, um, below the water level, you're immune to the shot, to the shell. And that's where the surgeons would work. And that was actual table. That's where the surgeons lived. That's uh, their actual instruments. That's just a plastic model of a Amputated arm. Yeah. Jeez, man. That's the painting of where he died, and that's the actual place on the victory. This is my photograph. So the one on the right is your photograph? Yeah. 
<laughs> where he died. Uh, and that's the end of that. He died knowing that he had won the battle. Yeah, man. I mean, listen, if you're going to go out knowing that you won the battle, it's not a bad way what to go. What a way out. to go. It's not a bad way to go out. What a way to 53 go. 53 years old. That's how John Wick always <clears throat> goes out. He knows he won the battle. He never goes out. He just doesn't go out. He yeah. wins the battle. Yeah. He's Samuel Whittemore. He is? Yeah. <laughs> he can bang at him 13 times and he reloads his musket and wants to go for more. When yeah, you were man. talking about that story, you know, not to sidetrack, but there's a... Did you ever watch like Yellowstone or any of that? Like on... Uh, no, and I'll tell you why. <clears throat> I, I'm interested. Because <clears throat> I met Kevin Costner in person. And he's an asshole? Yes. Uh, not surprised. Because <laughs> Everyone I, because, says that. Yeah, because, because literally every article right now about Yellowstone is that he's an asshole. Um, but besides Ford. that, there was a scene in a spinoff called 1923 with Harrison Ford. Uh -huh. Great actor. Yeah. And essentially, he I'm got shot. He got, got, it's okay. <laughs> he got shot like a bunch of times just like that. He didn't get bayoneted or anything, but you're watching. You're like, how's this guy going to survive? But you saying that somebody was physically capable of surviving makes me think like that is a more realistic thing in that. Because they do do a good job Oscar in truth. that stuff about really, I feel like, showing what really happened and not like sensationalized. It's I a mean, little sensationalized, but not too getting much. Getting stuck with a bayonet once yeah. sounds terrible. Yeah, 13 sounds times. horrible. 13, 13 times <laughs> with a bunch of yeah. British soldiers bayoneting and kicking you and yeah. hitting you with the butt of the rock and the guy's 80 years old well that's what i that's why I, like the harrison ford thing made me think of that because he's like you know harrison ford's got to be 80 or yeah. close yeah. yeah close yeah so like seeing like this the scene with him and like it's it, literally like when you were talking about it it made me think of that and it was such a perfect like image yeah. because i was like oh i was watching him literally like his wife tried to like make sure he wasn't gonna bleed out and then it took days and days and days yeah. and days and days for him to be able to do his his be back on his feet. But Whittemore was not just a farmer; he continued. Yeah. In in the legislature, he was a representative for his county. I mean, he was politically active until the time he died at ninety three. That's crazy. Yeah. Crazy, yeah. man. This was I a mean, fun the guy night. Couldn't die. He couldn't die. Some people can't. Him, John Wick. Not many, but some people. He was and, the John Wick of the Revolutionary War. <laughs> that he was. Dr. G. Whittemore, so he was 80 when that attack happened. Is yeah. there uh, like a modern day equivalent of that age? Does that mean something a little different nowadays? I can't nowadays? think of one. I really can't 80 think then? of one. 80 and 17, <clears throat> you know, older, whatever. Older, it would have been <clears throat> a million years old. Yeah. 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 Shout out this guy, impossible. man. And he died when he was 93. Yeah. You know what? Fuck Kevin Costner. Yep. Right? Sure. Yeah, because, listen, I'm not going to lie. I want Yellowstone's <clears throat> season to come out, and it's him that's causing it. You problem. had a bad experience? Okay. I was living let's in Jackson. Finish, let's finish with this. Tell us why people should not care about Kevin Costner. Dances with Wolves is a great movie, though. No, it's not. Yeah, it's not, and he's not. Tell us why. Can we end on this? Let's let's. You yeah. don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> Tell uh, us, Doctor G. Go. Okay. It's, uh, an I okay mean, it's historically incorrect uh, in the first place. <laughs> it is. I, yeah. I will admit that. And he's an asshole. But uh, <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> Dub. Um, <clears throat> we're in Jackson, Mississippi, which is a fantastic city, by the way. I told my wife, I'll divorce you if you take that position in Jackson. It turned out to be wonderful. What a great place. And now you regret that, that, that statement. 
No, I don't. I mean, Jackson was a wonderful place, yeah. and I hated Mississippi all my life because of all the crap that had go, going on. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> the people I met there <clears throat> had learned their lesson, the majority of them, about racism and so forth. They're more <clears throat> politically correct than people I meet in Boston, honest to God. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so there's a, a bar, a wonderful bar, and Kevin Costner was going to appear that night because they had just finished this movie serial on TV about the uh, 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 war between the two clans in Kentucky. Uh, and I can't remember the name of a rhino offhand. And he played that. He's a wonderful actor. I'll mm -hmm. give him that, okay? <clears throat> and he does he's play handsome. the same role in everything. But. I mean, like so many women told me, I wouldn't mind him parking my boots under my bed. <laughs> <laughs> and Dee Dee, my wife, who's frankly at 69, is still fairly hot, you know. Um, so I want to go see him. I want to go see him. So uh, we go there, and it's a little this is a bar, and they got this little place, and it's jam-packed with women and their husbands that are dragged along. And he's got a band that played for that TV series, uh, and he comes out like this. Here I am, ladies. And I thought right away, what an a-hole. <laughs> I mean, like, here I am, you know, adore me. I thought, oh, fuck you. <clears throat> And, and I mean, he's an okay musician and all that. And, and all the women are just, uh, and then afterwards he comes out and he's got this bus and all these women are climbing on the bus to have whatever intercourse, social intercourse with him. And, uh, he's signing this stuff and I, and, and I have this little, uh, magazine that has his face on the cover and I ask him to autograph it and and my wife is like like a deer in headlights she's so damn scared of confronting him because I mean honest to God he is a good looking guy and I'm I'm straight and uh, she and I said come on Dee Dee come on you know and, and she's paralyzed so I said you know we just signed this Mr. Crosser he's looking at me with this mean stare and I still can't explain it he's staring at me and I, in a mean way and I can't explain it and he signs the magazine but he's still staring at me and he's like mm. and I can't to this day I can't figure out why he's looking at me that way because you weren't a female walking up to his I guess for an autograph you know that's the best explanation <laughs> I can think I can of think to about. date this was uh, 2014, and I'm, but I just thought, what an asshole! So this wasn't like 25 year old Costner. This was like yeah, he was 45 year old Costner, 50, at least 50 year old Costner. 50, yeah, yeah, and he does nothing for me. Okay, yeah, he's just you know, yeah, honest, yeah, fuck nothing Kevin Costner. Him. He's not Keanu Reeves, Brad Pitt, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean. But uh, I understand. Yeah, it's understandable. Yeah, one sure. other pepperoni. 
<laughs> uh, I, I'm good on pepperoni. Listen, Paul's up plenty tonight. Dr. J, I appreciate you, man. This is fun. Hey, we guys. went on, man. This Dude, is I a, love having you on. Highlight I, of my week. And I love you all. Thank you so much for bearing through this. Thanks, it's Dr. Been an ordeal. Thank you for bearing through this. No, this is, a, this is a blast. Jordy, we had fun tonight. I, Dr. G is my favorite. My favorite. I two can times. do another two hours. I yeah. love you, too. Oh, yeah. We could definitely go for we, a long time. For sure. Um, Dr. G, literaryphysician.com. Check out Dr. G. His <sighs> book's there. On Any, Amazon. Anywhere, anywhere else we can find you? At home. Uh, well, uh, listen, we're not going to give that. Twenty. <laughs> <laughs> cutting that out. Cut that out. No, that. You can cut it out at the at home part, listen, and that's it. My wife's <laughs> gone. And- <laughs> <laughs> listen, Dr. G, thank you, man. I had a blast tonight. I appreciate oh, I you, too. as always. Oh. Until next time. Listen, Paul, you were a good boy tonight. Yep. What's yeah. the name of the podcast going to be? Do you have a name? For your Me? podcast? Yeah. What is not going- yet. Okay. Not yet. It'll come well, to you. It'll come to you. That's what happened with us. When it's there, it just, it just happens. We're here for you and we're promoting it. So okay, yes, okay, Doctor G, thanks, man. I appreciate you greatly. So we had a blast. Swords up, and we'll uh, catch everybody next time. Yes, Thank sir. you. Yeah.